this sucks. Hello, and welcome to Play This, the podcast where two old friends talk about video games and their opinions on video games and other stuff about video games. I'm Max. And I'm Daniel. And this week, as promised, we have a bit of a special episode for you. We're going to talk about our games of the year, but this time, for the first time ever, it's not going to be just Daniel and myself talking, shouting out into the void. Daniel, what are we doing this week? We have a guest panel of three of our closest friends, and uh, I'm really excited Me about too. that. Yeah. They're being very quiet. Yeah. It's very impressive, actually. Yes, they're, they're in the room with us. I promise this cool. isn't like some weird setup where it's just going to be Daniel and I doing voices. <laughs> Hello. It's me. <laughs> hey. Hey. This is, uh, <clears throat> sorry. hey we got them to laugh now you know they're real (laughs) all right let's go around okay so first up we have colin colin hey you have been friends with me and max for as long as me and max have been friends yeah nearly yeah almost yeah just just sorry i mean like that wasn't like an insult Colin. yeah (laughs) yeah yeah just about (laughs) yeah yeah we've we all went to the same high school together 15 plus years yeah yeah Yeah. well we don't need to remind ourselves of how old we are. Now. <laughs> uh, next up, we got Sean. Hi, everybody. Sean. You'll know Sean because uh, he makes our wonderful music. I'm also the guy who says, play this, start, at the start of every episode. Is that like all you're good for? You're just going to keep saying that throughout the, that's the, the episode? Only, that's the only thing I can say. I don't know how I'm speaking right now. Before it's... every game, he's going to tell you to play this. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But the problem is we have to insert a nickel every time. To get into <laughs> exactly. And finally, my girlfriend, Amy Lee, is also here. Hi, you're gross. <laughs> all right. And now you know a little bit more about that dynamic. <laughs> So we got a lot of uh, topics we want to talk about today. Uh, First of all, thank you all for being here. We are very excited to have you on the podcast. Um, But let's just dive right in because we've talked about uh, many times already over the length of this podcast Mm -hmm. just how incredible the year 2017 was for video games. Uh, I think, you know, we didn't consciously make this decision, but I I don't think it's just a coincidence that we decided to start a video game podcast in a year that was so strong for video games. Yeah. So there's a lot to talk about this year. Uh, We're going to get started with some kind of fun award categories that are a little bit different. Uh, And we're going to work our way up to all of our top five favorite games. Well, not five for everybody. Um, (laughs) It was a very busy year for video games. The first of our kind of special categories is the best non-2017 game you played in 2017. And Daniel, why don't we just start with you? Okay. Because I think you've got a surprising choice in here. Well, it's not a surprise to me. Well, no, you made your list. It's not a surprise to you. Yeah, my my best non-2017 game that I played last year is Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, which actually, when I was going through the list, was kind of a surprise to me. Fallout 2 got kind of close, which is, you know, you recommended Fallout 2 to me. I had a surprisingly good time with it. Uh, It feels like somewhere in there is an insult buried. (laughs) I can't believe how much I enjoyed your shitty game. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, as I was going through games that I'd played last year, uh, Captain Toad Treasure Tracker was just a really joyful time for me, and it's this puzzle game for the Wii U, not very complicated. You're, You're Captain Toad, 
you go through these like little dioramas almost, and you can't jump, and you just have to collect various things and get to the end. But Nintendo is just very good at making something that simple, like a really whimsical, really creative, really adorable experience. And it's definitely like a hidden gem. That's probably good uh, feedback for Nintendo to remember. Is when they're they're often better when they do things simply. <laughs> when they overcomplicate, that's when they get into to issues. But anyway, that's my opinion on Nintendo. So Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, yeah, is your favorite non twenty seventeen game you played in twenty seventeen? Yes. Let's just go around the table, Sean. Why don't you why don't you say what yours is? Sure, absolutely. Um, mine is Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon for the Nintendo 3DS. This was like I think a launch title or very close to launch. Not even close. Really? It was like 2011. Jesus Christ. Well, um, <laughs> possibly 2013 actually. It's a very old 3DS game relative to now. <laughs> relative to the year 2018. Look, Sean, don't worry. We get shit wrong all the time. On this, podcast. this is not a fact-based podcast. Good. I I'm a big fan of the original Luigi's Mansion, even though it's only like three hours long. And I bought the sequel thinking that it was basically just going to kind of be more of that, you know, like uh, like maybe 10 hours of the same thing. It's actually the best point-and-click style puzzler that I've played since, like, Monkey Island 3. Wow. Uh, they use the Poltergust. You have to use it in, like, really creative ways to solve all these different really interesting puzzles. Each boss is also kind of a puzzle that you have to solve. I was really pleased with how many kind of head-scratching situations I was in where I had to, like, go to another room and grab something with a poltergust and bring it back or, like, solve puzzles with weights or, like, do crazy stuff with portals. Really, really creative level design. Um, and you're also, like, Luigi running around in scary <laughs> houses, so it's funny. You know, it's, a, it's an entertaining game in a lot of different ways. Uh, certainly more... I got more out of it than I was expecting. I'm excited to see uh, what Nintendo does with Luigi on the Switch. Like what his Ooh, his debut yes. experience will be on the Switch. I'm hoping that he gets something uh, really stand out in this generation. I would love that. All right, Amy. Yes. So my best non-2017 game I played in 2017 was Persona 4 Golden. It was the first Persona game I've ever played all the way through because I tried playing Persona 3, but I only played about 30 minutes of it. So I count Persona 4 Golden as my first. I really fell in love with the characters it was such a good RPG. There were so many things you could do. It just completely opened my world to RPGs, and it's very dear to my heart because of uh, specific characters. There's so much to do. It was amazing. I've never played a game like that. Uh, you mentioned characters you like in Persona 4. Who's your favorite and why? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, my favorite character is Chie because I, too, am angry and hungry all the time. <laughs> Those are very identifiable qualities. <laughs> <laughs> She's very passionate. She loves kung fu movies. She's very dorky, but tries to like play off that she's a very tough person. Uh, her best friend is Yukiko, and they're always kind of by each other's sides, which I can also relate to. And they just really made the characters so three-dimensional and real, with the uh, exclusion of some of them, which I think they could have really delved more into, but I think what they did was just amazing. Yeah, I've mentioned in the last proper episode of our podcast that I had a lot of trouble deciding between Persona 4 or Persona 5 to recommend to Max, and Amy touches a lot on the exact reason why I lingered on Persona 4 for so long. It's an excellent game. There is pick. some problematic stuff, but uh, we're just going to brush over that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Great. All right, let's keep it moving. Colin. Yeah, so I did uh, a two-part for my best non-2017 game. Uh, I did a console game and a mobile game because I end up playing a fair amount on my phone if I'm on the train or whatever. So for console games, it was Dark Souls 3. Um, I'm a really big fan of, of a lot of challenge in video games. I don't like things to be kind of spoon-fed to me or have things too easy. And Dark Souls 3 was so satisfying to play because you would come up against this monster or this this boss and it would just totally destroy you the first time you met it. And then you'd have to learn how it worked. You'd have to actually like figure out what it was doing uh, so that you could respond, which was great. My mobile game was Dust and Elysian Tale. It was originally for the PC and I got it on my phone and the controls are a little bit wonky on the phone, but it's just a lot of fun. Like it's not the greatest story, but it's a little bit, it's like a step up from just a generic hero story. It's a little bit more interesting than that, but it was just a lot of fun. There's a lot of, you know, flying around, killing a bunch of enemies. Right. I got the impression that it's like side-scrolling Devil May Cry, but yeah. you're a furry. Exactly. Yeah, you're a furry, <laughs> which is weird. All the characters are furries. I, it doesn't... There's no reason for it. It just kind of has ears, like non-human ears, and just <laughs> yeah. some tails. It's weird. But it was all done by one guy, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's a really impressive game for being done by just one guy, so... I feel like there's, there are more and more passion projects that have turned out super well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so my best non-2017 game I played in 2017 uh, is Stardew Valley. And I, I appreciate what you said about Fallout 2 almost making this slot for you, because yeah. Undertale also <laughs> almost made this slot for me. In fact, the first game I wrote in to the category was Undertale. And then I thought about it a little bit deeper. And even though I haven't played all the way through Stardew Valley, I just really love that game. Um, so Stardew Valley, I played on the PlayStation 4. I mean, if anyone's played Harvest Moon um, or other games in that genre, uh, it's just a really great entrant into that world. Uh, it's got so much charm, so much character. Again, another game that was predominantly made by one person. Um, and it's just a really, it's got a beautiful aesthetic um, and addictive gameplay. And I just really loved it. Nice. Yeah, I haven't played Stardew Valley, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'm going to get it for my Switch at some point, so yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to play that. It does seem like a game that will translate very well to the Switch. Yeah. In yeah. fact, I, when I bought it on the PlayStation 4, I, I didn't have a Switch yet. I didn't know I was going to. I wonder if I would play it more for on the Switch. I mean, right now all I'm doing is playing Persona 5, so I'm not playing anything <laughs> else. But uh, yeah, no, it's a great game, and I'm excited to hear your opinion when you play it. So that is that category. We're just going to keep on rolling here. Uh, this is a fun one. Our biggest disappointment in 2017. And I'll start and also say a caveat here. Um, <laughs> this game did not come out in 2017, but this is a game that Daniel and I played together in 2017. Correct. And man, is it a disappointment for me. Uh, that game is Nino Cooney. Um, I was really excited for this game. Yeah. And going into playing it, I knew the criticisms of it. I knew that people said the first 15 hours were slow. Uh, and that it was a little bit childish. Right. Uh, despite that, I still let myself kind of get really excited because I didn't exactly understand how slow and how geared towards children it would be, uh, <laughs> both in terms of content and in terms of like technical execution. Right. Um, and Daniel and I played this game together. We haven't finished it yeah. um, just because it's you know hard to, to get together for a game these days. But yeah. um, we're... Somewhere around 25 hours in, yeah. the game finally started to open up all of its mechanics to us. Yes. And it just does it too late. Yeah. It holds your hand for so long and in such frustrating fashions. And some of the story is frankly so like distancing for me that like <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel any gravitational pull in this game. I don't feel anything that is bringing me back to it, even though the game is now open. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree with so much of that. 
25 hours of playing the game, there's only really one moment that right. I, I loved in that game. And there's this moment where you go to like this village filled with fairies and there's two fairies that have lost their sense of humor and they're stand-up comedians and you help them get their sense of humor back. And once you do, they do a stand-up show for you. And it's really stupid. But it's also like five minutes long. <laughs> and that's why I love yeah. it. They, they just, really dedicated themselves to that bit. They went full hog on that stand-up bit. And, and it was just like bad and dumb enough that I loved it. I loved that bit. And that's the only part of Nino Kuni that I loved. There are, there are good things in the game. The art direction is great, of course. I mean, you know, all of the oh, stuff yes, that Studio yes. Ghibli did is good. Yes. All the stuff that Level 5 did, I have problems with. <laughs> uh, so the character design is great. And yes. the Pokemon collection aspect of it is good. It's not yes. great. It's good. Yes. But most frustrating for me isn't even the fact that the game waited so long to unlock all of its features. The combat is so frustrating. You have full control over all the characters who are on the map, yeah. but they don't respond immediately to your input. So you can mm-hmm. prepare for a big attack and tell them to get defensive, but then sometimes they don't do it until after the attack happened. It's just a very frustrating experience. It's not how I like playing video games. Yeah. Um, so that's mine. Great. Let's keep going. Let's go around the circle the other way now. So Colin, let's go with you. Ooh. Yeah. So my uh, biggest disappointment was another mobile game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it's really just for the controls. I got Jade Empire when it was on sale, uh, which was great that I got it on sale, but it's, it's um. I had played uh, Knights of the Old Republic on my phone, mm. which is by Bioware as well. Same same company came out around the same time, right? And that was great. It was a lot of fun, and it's a turn based RPG, so you could you know had a little bit more time with your actions. Right. And there was only like a little bit where the mobile controls really got in the way. The the kind of um, it's not pod racing; it's the other kind of racing. I forget what they call it in the game, but uh, <laughs> it's almost impossible. It's a terrible experience <laughs> in mobile, but luckily it's just a small part of the game, right. so I couldn't move past it. Jade Empire, though, is it's a more action based. You right. play like a kung fu type person, right. and you have to you know quickly respond to stuff, and it just feels unresponsive. Mm. And failing because a game is not responding to what you're doing is just the most frustrating thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't get very far in it, and so that was That's that was pretty disappointing amy so my biggest disappointment i didn't actually play but i've heard a lot of issues about mass effect andromeda uh mass effect and dragon age are games that i'm super into i think it's really cool that you can kind of create your own character you can choose to be lgbt plus all that stuff i think that's really awesome it's a very creative open world i like it a lot when andromeda was released I cannot tell you how many videos I've seen of the ridiculous bugs and glitches from this game from such a big corporation. There's just one scene where one of the characters is pouring something into a cup and the animation is just terrible. I took animation classes in high school and I probably could have done a better job. (laughs) And that's insulting and that's terrible. They had so long to work on this. Right. And like they just they funded so much into it and there was just so much wrong with it. I think they could have done uh a little bit better with it, but I had higher hopes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Especially so weird so late into a, a series to have those issues pop up. Right. Why would you wait until the newer game to come out for it to have terrible animations and bugs? (laughs) I think you'd know how to do animations by then. Right. Right. Okay, we're going to revive the franchise. Mass Effect Andromeda, start of a new trilogy. Here we go, and it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Not a great first showing of, like, the new Mass Effect. Yeah, actually, it was that was a big disappointment for me, too, because I only played a little bit of the first Mass Effect, and... 
obviously the Mass Effect series as a whole is super critically acclaimed, but I didn't want to put the entire commitment, or I never really had the time to put the whole commitment into all three games in the original trilogy. So when they announced Andromeda, I was like, cool, I can jump in here. <laughs> uh, and then the the reviews and everything, like all the initial media I was seeing of it was so bad that I didn't ever bought it. Right. Neither did you. I was the same way because I, I had played Dragon Age, uh, Dragon Age Origins and I really enjoyed that. Right. So I thought maybe I could start Mass Effect with Andromeda and then work my way backwards. And then I just heard all of this stuff and I was like, okay, never mind. <laughs> maybe I won't. <laughs> I'll stick with Dragon Age. I see also on your list is uh, Battlefront 2. Yeah. I feel like Daniel and I have covered that topic a lot, but I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know if you wanted to add into that, if you wanted to pile on. Uh, I don't even have words for how bad of an idea those microtransactions were. Yeah, I just, it's shocking. I can't fathom it at all, which is why I went with Mass Effect Andromeda yeah. instead of yeah. Battlefront, because that's already gotten quite a lot of stuff. I'm glad Both. that you did too, yeah. because like it... It's hard to remember with how many games have come out this year that that Mass Effect Andromeda was this year. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was. that's yeah, that's that's wild. It's weird to think about. So we're moving on to me, I guess. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. good, good. Um, so uh, I played a lot of Final Fantasy XIV this year, as Daniel can attest. Yeah. Um, and um, I uh, I would say that by and large, I've enjoyed the experience. I think it's a good game. It's on my list a couple of times, so we're going to talk about this more later. One thing that I did not enjoy about my experience is, uh, you know, Final Fantasy XIV is an MMO, so they had kind of the base game, A Realm Reborn, which is actually like this weird kind of sequel to like the original shitty Final Fantasy XIV. And then they've had two expansions since then, Heavensward and Stormblood. And I think that Heavensward and Stormblood have been really fun, and I've had a good time with them. The base game is so slow and so kind of ponderous in its pacing. The story that you go through is really boring for 90% of it. You don't get any of your cool abilities until the end game like any MMO. And you have to do these kind of story quests where it's just like one after the other. You're, you're expected to kind of do them as you level up, which I did. Then when you get to max level, before you can move on to the first expansion, there's about a hundred more story quests that you have to do, and they all suck. <laughs> Every single one of them sucks. Um, so my biggest disappointment of 2017 was playing through the rest of Final Fantasy XIV to get to Heavensward and Stormblood. Because and, it's just not a good experience. And Sean, I think more so than the rest of us, you're an MMO guy. I am. It's I enjoy MMOs as a genre. Uh, yeah. There's something I enjoy a lot. Yeah. Cool. Well, I know you're going to talk more about that game when, when we get further into the list. So <laughs> yes, I am. We'll leave you so, space to do yeah, that. We'll we'll leave that for later. Daniel. So, my biggest disappointment is Sonic Forces, which I got excited about when I found out that you could make your own Sonic OC. I thought that that was genius. I was like, this is hilarious. This is going to be great. It was hilarious. Is. <laughs> <laughs> Sonic Force is actually a really funny game, but none of it is intentional. It it is it's actually super dark. You you start that game, Sonic gets defeated by the final boss uh in the first level, and then there's a time skip where everyone else in the cast thinks Sonic is dead, but it turns out he's not dead. He's just been tortured in Dr. Robotnik's labs for the last six months. Oh, did, <laughs> they did, used the word torture. Did they bring in the writers from 24? 
he's a retorture. And, you know, back to the crocodile is like, oh, no, I thought this would be a fun mission. And Knuckles is like, there's nothing funny about war. Back there. <laughs> like, I, I got back to Chicago and Daniel just like, I was eating at one point, and so for my, like, mid-meal entertainment, Daniel just played me a bunch of cutscenes from Sonic Forces, and they're exactly like that. He's not exaggerating at all. Knuckles really says that, and all the characters really sound that goofy. It's such a weird game. Yeah. I didn't even, I haven't seen any gameplay of it. That's been my experience with Sonic Forces. The game, and that's enough. I think gritty war experience is not something you should try when your lead characters are a hedgehog and an echidna. <laughs> what does well, a hedgehog know about war? And Sonic stories have been pretty weird for the past decade, but the gameplay is also a mess. No, that's it's... also been true for the last... Most most of the last decade. Generations was really good. Most of the last decade. Yeah, Ge- yeah Generations was really good. Colors was really good. Unleashed had its moments. I was going to say, I've actually seen a lot of people circling back to Unleashed now and saying, you know, this wasn't as bad as we thought it was. The 2D parts of Unleashed are fantastic. Right. Uh, but Forces is just... There was no level in Forces where I was having a good time, really. Even the classic Sonic levels. Oh, yikes. Even the classic Sonic levels, like, the physics are off. They're not good. They, they messed up. They did a bad job with Forces. And... I got to make my own character, which was uh, a red cat with glasses and a dress. Uh, it was a girl cat. Uh, but, uh, and she had, uh, I gave her like a lightning whip gun, which was really cool, but not worth it. <laughs> not really worth it in the end. Was, even... was creating your character the most fun you had in that game? Yeah, it was the most fun I had in that game. The character creator is actually like pretty solid you get to make a really good variety of stuff and there's like seven or eight starting creatures you can make you can make bears you can make dogs you can make cats obviously yeah uh you can make cats yeah you can make hedgehogs you can't make echidnas or foxes and i thought yeah i thought maybe that would be dlc right it's like that would be the easiest way to get money from us right like to oh yeah to get a kid and fox dlc where you can play like tails or knuckles would but that never happened. <laughs> My other biggest disappointment of 2017. I don't understand how um, like Team Sonic keeps messing up Sonic physics. Like, yeah, you know, between this and like Sonic Four, you know, there have been like some times where Sonic playing Sonic hasn't felt like you're playing Sonic. Just bring in the guy from Sonic Mania, have him test it out. If he says you messed up, then you need to change. <laughs> like it's not hard. I love. I have to assume. <laughs> I love and hate that the person at Sega that knows the most about what makes Sonic fun right now is the guy who made Sonic Mania, who is a Sonic fan. He's right. just he's just initially a guy that was making Sonic fan games, and Sega hired him to do it eventually. Well, I will say at least we did get a good Sonic game. Yes, yes. Yeah. Mania was great. Yeah, we'll talk more about that later. I think. And let's bring the conversation now back to positive experiences in 2017 <laughs> rather than disappointing experiences. Our next uh, special category is best soundtrack. Sean, let me start with you. Great. Um, my best soundtrack uh, award actually goes to a game that I did not play, which is Near Automata. Mm. Um, I, uh, I've seen footage of the game. I've wanted to play it, but uh, Daniel and Amy Lee also want to play it, and they want to beat the first near first. So we haven't gotten there yet, but we will. Yeah. Um, but one thing I have done is I've listened to a lot of the soundtrack. You know, people post it on YouTube, and you can check it out. 
and uh oh it's really great <laughs> like all the tracks are just really solid really they you know depending on what you're listening to they really evoke a lot of emotion in you without you even having to see what gameplay they're tied to like i haven't seen a lot of the stuff that's happening in this game but i can listen to a sound uh song from the uh, near automata soundtrack and really feel as though like oh this moment is going to crush me when i get to <laughs> it, or, or whatever right which um, is impressive that's yeah. really cool i mean just really really tip-top job um you know the uh, composer or composers of that game. I wish I'd looked them up. Uh, great work! You're totally going to listen to this podcast. So <laughs> I, I, I definitely want to thank you personally. Great, Amy. So my best soundtrack was Persona Five. It was the same composer from Persona Four. Was it from Persona Three as well? Because I haven't. Yes, finished. yeah, yeah. Okay. Shoji Meguro. I want to say yes. yes. Wow. They did amazing music for Persona 4, and when I was playing Persona 4, I didn't think I would like Persona 5's music better. And then I actually played Persona 5, and it was very jazzy, which is cool because jazz is a very popular but not very popular music genre. So having that incorporated into a kind of thief setting was really amazing. The beats are amazing. I'll listen to it while I'm cooking or cleaning. (laughs) It's just... So it was like you were reenacting a character's life <laughs> in Persona. No, honestly, I was cooking the other night and I was playing one of the final boss um, themes and Daniel comes crashing through the kitchen and scared the absolute shit out of me. It was terrifying. Like, it just hypes you up so much and the the atmosphere for some of the songs is just perfect spot on there's a cafe theme that really really fits with a cafe it's very chill very relaxed very jazzy and bluesy it's shoji maguro is so good at composing yes. music i really admire that. yeah you obviously can't see at home but we a lot of us were nodding along during that yeah <laughs> much nodding as we record this podcast <laughs> what is your favorite song from persona 5 Ooh, my favorite is Probably the cafe theme. That's fair. But Rivers in the Desert, the one I was speaking about, is a fan favorite, and it's definitely one of my favorites. It's just, it gets you so pumped, and it mixes in a bunch of different themes from previous songs that's played in the game. Mm-hmm. So that's, I love when composers do that. Yeah. Nah, it's it's a truly excellent soundtrack. My only, the only reason I didn't nominate it for my Best Soundtrack Award is because... One cool thing that I really like about Persona 5 is that there's a lot of tracks that call back to each other. However, there's so many of those that I wish there were like just like three to five more truly unique tracks. Like I feel like Persona 5 had less variety as a soundtrack than say Persona 4 did. And I miss that a little bit, but but every track that's in Persona 5 is like A plus. It's real good. That's fair, but you're wrong, because Persona 5 soundtrack is <laughs> <laughs> I really like um, that theme that plays when you're sneaking around, like in the gangsters' palace, who likes money or whatever. Oh yeah, um, the bom, the Kanashiro. Yeah, that that's yeah, great, good. I know. I'm so glad that everyone at home will know exactly what song I'm referring to, and that this isn't going to get cut out. Now we need to pay royalties for that. Let's just move on before you cost us any more money. Colin, what was your best soundtrack? Uh, so my favorite soundtrack, uh, I think is, is, it was from Super Mario Odyssey, and I think what really made it elevate itself for me 
was just how well it tied into the gameplay. Yeah. And yeah. we'll talk more about how much fun Super Mario Odyssey is later. Uh, but a big part of that was the soundtrack, where it's just yeah. it just completely matched the mood of every every different level and every different you know thing that was going on. And they had the the sound check mode where you could kind of you know play whatever song you wanted afterwards yeah. once you have uh, actually unlocked them all, which was just great. You could just put on whichever song you wanted while you're going around. And there are a lot of songs to choose from. There's a lot of songs. Yeah. It's the, a that's a wonderful soundtrack. The first step of Super Mario Odyssey becoming one of the games that I loved the most this year was the E3 trailer for Super Mario Odyssey when we heard Jump Up Superstar for the oh, first yeah. time. Yeah. yeah well, like, the fact that they even made a music video was one of their trailers. <laughs> right? Like, just shows how much pride they have in the soundtrack, and deservedly yeah. so. Yeah. We're, but I do want to point out that, like, that is one of the best tracks in the game. Like, yes. Pauline's song... About Mario is just so catchy, so great. It's good. It's it real is. good. Yeah, and that, that part of the game is also fantastic. I love that. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. agreed. That is the song that I know from Super Mario Odyssey because I haven't played it yet, and uh, that alone suggests to me that your choice, uh, Colin, is well founded. Jump <laughs> <laughs> up, superstar! So catchy, really great. You know, yeah, it's just uh, it's a good it's a good song. It is a good song and a great soundtrack. That's a great transition uh, for my list because I had a hard time choosing between three games. And I won't talk about all three in depth, uh, but because two of them have already been talked about. Um, Persona 5, Super Mario Odyssey are two phenomenal soundtracks. And like as much as we talk about how great this year was for gaming in general, mm-hmm. this was a really good year for gaming soundtracks specifically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Absolutely. So many of the top games had beautiful soundtracks. Super Mario Odyssey is... Um, I agree with exactly with what you said, Colin, that the music fits the gameplay so perfectly. Uh, it just feels so natural. And I love that. Yeah. Persona 5 is also a beautiful soundtrack, but Daniel, I didn't really think about what was holding it back for me until you said what you said. And oh, I think yeah, some it. of it was <laughs> just there's not enough diversity within the soundtrack. Yeah, I feel you. And when I compare that to my actual favorite soundtrack, which is Pyre, yeah. uh, which had so much diversity and what put it over the top for me was that every faction you fight, as we talked about in our Pyre episode, has their own theme. Yes. And they're all fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah. They're Just really good. that alone, like, makes that game my favorite soundtrack this year. There are many other reasons. Some of the music is extraordinarily emotional. Um, I don't often like um, when video games have songs with words in them. All three of the games I just mentioned do that. So it's a little bit of an anomaly for me in that regard. But Pyre, for me, has been the most um, successful version of that. Of having lyric songs in them. Oh, yeah. Um, which sometimes takes me out of the experience of being in the game. Mm. But not for Pyre. That soundtrack is incredible. Yeah. I mean, one great thing that Pyre did was the songs with the lyrics. Them having lyrics was like part of the story of right. the game. And it just felt really seamless in that way. I, I yeah. agree. Yeah. Just an all-around, almost perfect soundtrack. It's kind of funny yeah. for me that you mentioned that... Uh, sometimes uh, video game songs having lyrics in them really takes you out of the experience. Um, I call that the Snake Eater problem. (laughs) (laughs) Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, of course, has this really great kind of James Bond-style title theme uh, that kind of returns and plays through a lot of the game, and that has lyrics. And um, for the most part, I just really love it, you know, non-ironically kind of for what it is. But there's this part where the woman has to sing about, like, eating a tree frog. And every time I hear that lyric, I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 
actually had that same experience with Jump Up Superstar because there's a part where Pauline's like, come get coins with me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Pauline, I guess that's fine. I I, I love that lyric. I I, I relate. I I get (laughs) it. All right, Daniel. I think my honest pick would actually be either Persona 5 or Pyre. Uh, But in the interest of talking about another video game soundtrack that I really enjoyed, I'm going to say Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Because... Xenoblade Chronicles 2 has a really dope soundtrack. It's that really seems good. That's self-evident. Yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> 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 it's the kind of in-depth analysis you come to play this for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> play uh, games because they're good. Xenoblade Chronicles, the first one, has one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. And they brought a lot of the same composers back for Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And they do a really excellent job again. Some of the battle themes are just super intense, super awesome, and really just get you pumped up. They, I think the soundtrack overall is a bit weaker than the first Xenoblade Chronicles. And one problem with the game itself is that it kind of has a host of technical issues. I get the feeling that they really tried to rush the game out so that it could hit that end of 2017 release date. And some of the best tracks in the game happen during some of the most technically demanding parts of the game, like, say, like a really like intricate major boss fight. And during moments like that, the music stutters. <laughs> so... So that was that's really rough. However, if you're just like listening to it on YouTube or whatever, really high quality, really A plus good shit. Great. I'm glad that we touched on a lot of different games because this was just a great year for music and video gaming. So um, that's that category. The next category, I don't really understand. So Daniel, take it away. <laughs> the next category is the best category in our list. Best cat. So I personally noticed that there were a lot of games that came out this year that had really great cats in them. And I wanted to draw some attention to those great cats. Great, you've done it. Let's move on. <laughs> Every, uh, I believe Max did not pick a cat. For no, this. Yeah. I'm not engaging with yeah. this. <laughs> Max didn't participate in this category, so I'll go ahead and say mine first. Uh, my favorite cat in 2017 is Morgana in Persona 5. Morgana is a good friend. Morgana is adorable. Morgana, make sure you go to bed on time. No, no. Morgana forces you to go to bed even if you're not tired. Yeah, actually, okay. So that's that's not actually a plus. I I do I do acknowledge that Morgana does have faults. However, uh, however, Morgana is like probably one of my favorite Persona animal mascots. Persona tends to have an animal friend in each of its games. And Morgana is probably the best one. The Animal Friend of Persona 3 is pretty good, pretty damn good, but I was much less of a fan of Teddy. So having Morgana actually be like really, really fun and just enjoyable to interact with, I really appreciate it. And he's got a really cool story, which Max hasn't experienced all of yet, so I'll I'll leave that there. All right, does anyone else want to engage with this category? Uh, just uh, For yes. those not in the know, uh, the animal friend in Persona 3 is just a normal-ass dog. <laughs> <laughs> so happy. <laughs> um, and there's this cool little side thing where you can take him on walks, and sometimes other characters will come with you, and you get cutscenes for them that you don't otherwise get. 
just like specific dog walking cutscenes. Uh, Persona 3 is a good game. No, <laughs> anyway. I didn't know anybody tell me this earlier. I would have played it earlier. <laughs> I'd be like, Amy, you can walk this dog. I'd be like, hell yeah. Now you know what you have to do. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll 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 touch on the cat topic. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't play very many games with cats in them in the year 2017. Like I, most people. I, this isn't a normal category, Sean. Don't, don't feel pressured to answer. Don't think there were actually um, that many cats. Yeah, I also just didn't play oh. very many games in 2017, uh, uh, so that didn't help. But um, in Final Fantasy XIV Stormblood, there is a Mikote, which are like cat girls, basically, in the lore of that game, named Monago. Uh, who helps you fight against the oppressive Garlean Empire and free Alamigo from its clutches. Some she's of those words cool. made sense to me. <laughs> uh, she's pretty cool, and I like her. Uh, she's not like a super important character in the story, but she is the most important cat girl in the story. <laughs> so I wound up nominating her. Great. Anyway, Let's keep it going. Up. Amy, help me so, out. You like this category, right? I do like this category. Thank because you. Because this gives me a platform to talk about the best character in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which her name is Nia, and she's a cat girl. <laughs> and she's so cute because she's also angry. But she has a big heart. There's a pattern. I like these characters. <laughs> and she's also she's... hungry? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And she's Scottish, isn't she? Is she in, in the English like, dub. Yeah, I'm well, playing right. the sub because I like her voice better. Okay. Because um, yeah. it sounds more cat girly, and Scottish is a really weird pick for a cat girl to me. <laughs> what, there are Scottish some cats? Milk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not, not really. Um, but she's, she's really cool. She has a really cool point in the story. She is very fierce and stubborn, which I really like in female characters specifically. And I also love her because in one of her combat moves, she does a little cat dance and it's really cute. Uh, there was a point where Amy was playing Xenoblade 2 on her Switch while I was on the PS4 doing whatever. And while I'm playing, Amy says, uh, you're so cute, I love you. And I say, I love you too. And Amy looks at me and sheepishly says, I was talking to Nia. <laughs> she was doing the little cat dance, so I had to tell her. Which which is literally like a joke that's on Tumblr, but this happened in real life. So. Because Nia's the best. Colin, do you have an answer for this fuck shit? Uh, yeah, my favorite cat was the dog. In- <laughs> well, I think that says all we need to know about this category. Okay, you know, what? <laughs> you know what? This was a good category. You had you had Jubei in Blaze Blue. You had uh, the protagonist from Night in the Woods, which I haven't played, but that's a fucking cat. Uh, you, you had. We're you, not saying that there weren't cats. <laughs> there was, you had Judd and Lil Judd in Splatoon 2. There were options, okay? This yeah, is a good category. There are options. That's not the point. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Best game you didn't play in 2017. I came up with this category. Thank you this very much. This is a great much. category. <laughs> this category, this is a perfect category. Much better category. Yeah, I like this category. You know, I like it so much, I'll start. Okay. Okay. Because I didn't have anything to say last time. Uh, the, <laughs> there's a there's two answers for me here. One is not really a real answer, and that's Breath of the Wild. As you all know, I uh, started playing Breath of the Wild, but then got inundated with video games for this podcast, and I haven't had a chance to go back to it yet. Um, so I'm like six hours into that game, maybe ten hours into that game, maybe no, definitely not ten. And so I I haven't played enough to rank it. 
Um, and I haven't played enough to really feel like I played it. So that's one answer. But the the real answer, the game I haven't played anything of, is probably uh, near Automata. Um, Sean, I think you talked a lot about uh, that game and the strengths of that game that none of us have played. And I actually see that it's on this list a lot. But um, yeah, I am super interested in that game and I really want to check it out. My best game that I didn't play actually is Night in the Woods. That's also on my list too to play. So I'm glad you're bringing it up. Yeah, I every time I see this game... It looks just unique as hell, and I know that there's just a really deep, really personal story in there, and I'm really excited to find out what it is. One great bit of news is that we recently found out that the Switch version of the game is coming out February 2nd, so I'm picking that up immediately, and you'll probably get to hear my thoughts on it soon. Cool. Yeah. Um, My best game I didn't play is Neo. Uh, N-I-O-H. It's a Dark Souls-style experience from the Team Ninja uh, dev team, and I haven't played any of it just because I couldn't really ever justify buying it because we own so many games that I haven't (laughs) finished. But I watched a lot of streams of it, and it just seems like exactly the kind of game that I would really dig. Like, kind of really tough, challenging combat, um, fun, like, mission-based gameplay, lots of cool post-game stuff, like really hard fights that you can do. Um, I just really appreciate a lot of the stuff that that game. Also, like, I don't consider myself like a Naruto headband wearing weeb, but I do appreciate, I think Japanese culture is pretty cool, you know, like a lot of Japanese history, and they really kind of delve into that, and like they explore like Oni, like Japanese demons, and uh, that's just always an aesthetic that I really appreciate in a game if it's done well. I feel like Nier and Neo came out around the same time this year, and both hugely critically acclaimed games and also very popular games. Um, but A, because they sound so similar, and B, because of the year this was for video games, I think they did kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit for the average gamer. I know they each have very dedicated, very loud fan bases, um, but you know, compared to Breath of the Wild and Odyssey and a bunch of other games that came out this year, they just kind of got lost a little bit in the shuffle. I think they're also both kind of niche experiences, yeah. um, and that doesn't help either, but uh, that's definitely a game that I want to check out at some point in 2018. Great. Amy? Um, my game... The best game that I didn't play was also near Automata. I remember scrolling through Facebook and somebody had posted the trailer for the game. And I was so encapsulated by it and so fascinated by the character designs, what was going on, the type of game it was, that I actually did a lot of research into that game series to find out it was a sequel. Or, I guess, an independent sequel to the first game. And I got so interested in it, I actually bought an Xbox game (laughs) so I could play Nier, which is something I never do. And I ended up playing a little bit of the first Nier, and that only excites me more about Nier Automata. The designs are great. All the different things you can do are great. There's so many side quests. It just looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been getting a lot of Game of the Year awards uh, outside of us, so I'm I'm also personally really excited to eventually get to it after we beat Nier together, because I've been watching him play through Nier. And it's cool, uh, maybe a little slow sometimes. Soundtrack is dope, though. It really captures you, and yeah, I really like the dark and grittiness of it, too. Yeah. So, my favorite game that I didn't play, I'd actually put two again. Um, the first one, I'll say, is uh, Neo, which, is, which Sean already talked about. Um, and I like it for some of the same reasons. I like, you know, I just talked about how I really like Dark Souls 3, and... I like that kind of challenging gameplay, and I also appreciate that 
the story isn't incredibly obtuse and impossible to understand. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a problem that the, the right. Soulsborne games have. Yeah, They're, exactly. You, just playing the game, you can't know what is happening. You have to, like, read every description of every item and also watch a bunch of YouTube videos of people explaining it to you. Which, uh... It's not no, an accessible. Yeah, it's not an accessible experience. Exactly. The other game uh, that I haven't played that I'm really looking forward to is Resident Evil Seven. Um, I've watched people do a speed run of it, and it's just such a cinematic experience that it just looks like a lot of fun. Very, very terrifying, um, and I'm just really looking forward to playing that. And you're a fan of Resident Evil outside of? Yes, yes. Um, I haven't played many of the recent ones. Um, That's least... okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I played a lot of Resident Evil 4 and the ones before mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, I haven't played probably since any of the ones since then. So looking forward to RE7. Great. Nice. Those are our special award categories. Some categories were more special than others. Uh, but we made it through and none of us uh, strangled the others. Uh, wow, uh, Max, you're being a little catty right now. I can't imagine why. Well, that's the end of that podcast. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I guess the cat's out of the <laughs> Do you have any others you want to get out of your system? No. Some cat, cat scratched fever, maybe. <laughs> He's not enjoying this oh. right now. Oh! <laughs> Shut it down. I, I think the it. internet just like <laughs> deleted itself. <laughs> so before we get into each of our top, top games of the year, we're each going to quickly uh, run down our honorable mentions. Um, some of us have more honorable mentions than others. Um, but we're just going to quickly run through that. And we also recognize that some of our honorable mentions are other people's games of the year. So we won't talk about them until we get to that point. I'll also, at this point, um, since we're going to start talking about games we actually played that came out in 2017, um, I'll say that we will have some spoilers ahead. Now, we're going to try not to spoil too much um, for two reasons. One, obviously, we don't know what you all out there have played, and we want to be respectful of your experience of playing through these games the first time. And two, there are games on our lists that other people in the room are also interested in playing or haven't finished yet. So we're going to, as much as possible, uh, avoid spoilers in these conversations. But of course, we recognize that that's not always, uh, you know, 100% possible. So um, just a, a bit of a caveat there. If you're interested in playing these games, know that we may let one or two things slip, but we're really trying not to talk about spoilers too much. So without further ado, why don't we start going through some honorable mentions? And um, Amy, why don't we start with you? Cool. So I have five and I'll start with my last one. My last honorable mention is Splatoon 2. I didn't play the first game at all, so playing Splatoon 2 was my first Splatoon experience. It was a lot of fun, very cool multiplayer, very cool customization. Uh, Just a really fun game all around. The fact that you can use motion sensors is really cool to me for the Switch. And I just had a really good time playing it. And the next game is Fire Emblem Echoes. I will say I haven't finished it, but it is a really cool RPG and different from other Fire Emblem games I've played, or at least the recent ones like Awakening and Fates. Yeah. Um, you can actually explore and kind of interact in a Ace Attorney type style, which oh, I cool. really enjoyed because I really love the Ace Attorney series. That's so, a cool game for it to touch on. Yeah. yeah it was very you wouldn't cool. necessarily expect that. I wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah. So when I, when I was playing, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I get to interact with characters and talk to them and inspect different parts of the room. That made it so much more engaging to huh. me. 
Neat. Yeah. I didn't know it had that mechanic in it. Yeah, me neither. And I bought that game for her. So. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> no, it's great. I think that's really cool to incorporate into a Fire Emblem type game while still having the classic strategic elements. Um, the next game I'm going to nominate is Tekken 7. Tekken 7's story was not great. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest here. I was just kind of rolling my eyes, but that's classic Tekken story. Um, so I can't really criticize it too much. But it is really cool. The graphics are amazing. The movesets are amazing. There's a million of them to remember. But as a, a longtime Tekken fan, it was it was a lot of fun for me. Uh, also, I just want to note that Tekken 7 was also one of my honorable mentions. Uh, I didn't play it a lot, but what I played I enjoyed, and I appreciate just the craft that went into it. It's it's really cool, and the customization is huge, too. Yes. That's a lot of fun. My next honorable mention is Dream Daddy, a dad dating simulator. <laughs> simulator. That, uh, me and Daniel played through about halfway. We did two of the dad routes. Yeah, yeah, we did We did two endings together. We got, well, yeah, we, we did two routes, that's right, two routes. Yeah, we did two routes. We did... Matt, the barista dad, and then we also played Brian, the lumberjack dad. Yeah, he um, uh, the rival dad. Yeah. Yeah. This game was way more charming than I thought it would be. <laughs> you can customize your dad. You can name your dad. Uh, the father-daughter relationship is probably my favorite part of that game. Yeah. It's really realistic and modern. Incredibly well done. And very cute and very supportive. Like, the dad is a good dad, even though he has faults. Yeah. Uh, the way you play him, no matter what. Yeah. Uh, the dad characters that you can date are also really cool. There's a semi-wide range of the different types of dads you can you can date. Yeah, um, there's like a religious dad. There's like a bad boy dad. There's a... Uh... Can you take a step back and tell me a little bit more about what this game is? <laughs> are, you, are you a dad dating other dads? You are a dad dating other dads. Yes. Okay. Yeah. What else do you need to know? <laughs> I feel like it's all kind of there in the title. <laughs> yeah, Dream Daddy, a dad dating simulator. Yeah. It does what Call it says it. on the tin. All right. Um, another reason I'm, I really put it in high regards is because one of the dads is a transgender character, which is really cool. Yeah. And the way they portray Damien, the said transgender character, isn't offensive or too heavy-handed. They just kind of casually drop something. Yeah. about him being transgender and they don't treat it weird or anything like that which is really nice and refreshing games are finally yeah. progressing yeah, yeah. <laughs> no it's the game is incredibly inclusive it's uh it's got just a ton of, uh representation and diversity uh was this a that, pc game yes yeah pc no console port yet unfortunately the game like it's got kind of a goofy premise but it is so much better written than that Yes. Uh, the the stories and the dialogue are just like actually really heartrending. Another thing I'd like to include is that at the beginning, your previous spouse is dead, and you can actually choose if you are married to a man or a woman, which is also really cool. Yeah, and you can also choose if your child is adopted or not, regardless of whether yeah. you were married to a woman or a man, which yeah. I really appreciate yeah, as someone yeah. who's adopted. So that was sure. that was really cool. Yeah. And then my top honorable mention is Blue Reflection. I haven't yeah. finished the game. Uh, Daniel got it for me for Christmas. I started playing it, and it's it's basically Persona 5 with magical girls. <laughs> <laughs> and that concept is just so up my alley. You play this main character who 
is a ballet star that hurt her leg and she's trying to get back into it, but she's very frustrated with her her kind of disability right now. And she's in high school and she gets to meet all these different girls and they have to go to different worlds, basically, which is that person's subconscious, and they have to find their driving emotion and kind of capture it and stabilize it. And the way they handle the emotions is really cool. There's there's one girl in particular where they think it's anger, but it's actually fear. Hmm. And she just kind of exhibits it as anger instead of fear. So the main character gets to the little emotion and she's like, why isn't this working? This is This is anger. And then she looks deeper into it and thinks about it more and it makes you kind of explore the psyches of different characters which i'm super into huh. that just makes me think of nino cooney and like the weird emotion mechanic <laughs> of that game. yeah this is a much better executed version of that it, it is yeah as someone who's experienced both blue reflection does it better yeah cool cool all right colin let's go with your honorable mention list uh sure so i only had two um i didn't really play that many video games um i also only have two that are game of the year categories but these, we'll talk about that later we'll talk about that later but well, i think what's interesting is that these two right. didn't automatically make it into your exactly top five, yeah. and I, I do have i do have reasons for that yeah that i didn't think that they were counted as or they didn't qualify for me for game of the year right um but those two games um were splatoon 2 uh which we talked about some what's great about that is it's a lot of fun right you you play online you're doing it's kind of a multiplayer thing and the the goal of the game i don't know how familiar you all are with it but you uh try to paint the floor of an arena yeah. And that's great. You get different different tools to paint things better. Uh, you can knock out the other players so they can't paint. It's like a tag or a, a battle against another team that's trying to, you know, whichever team has the most color paint on it wins. And it's a lot of fun. The reason it's not in the best game category is because I'm I play a lot more of single player games than I do multiplayer games. So it kind of being multiplayer doesn't make it the best game for me. Yeah. Right. So my other uh, honorable mention was Golf Story, which we will talk about more later. But yeah. um, it was a whole lot of fun. And I think it just wasn't as uh, long of a game to kind of be a Game of the Year nomination for me. I think that's a fair evaluation of Golf Story, which, like you said, we'll talk about a little bit more later. Um, I also only have two honorable mentions for this year. Uh, mine are uh, Breath of the Wild, which I kind of talked a little bit earlier about. It, even though I've only played six hours or so of the game, it's still very clear that it's a very good game. And I would have felt remiss not putting it in this category. Uh, my second honorable mention is Horizon Zero Dawn. And I think I'm the only one at this table who's played that game. Correct. Impressively, yeah. because I was really excited about it. But once again, it's just that same problem for me. We're like, we're recording this podcast next to Daniel's and my games collection. <laughs> it's enormous, and we've beaten so few of them. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of Some of, of them we haven't even started. We just owned them for a while. So, like... Um, it's kind of like the problem with the Steam library, but exactly, like right. physical. But, but, yeah. but, but, but you can see it. Full of games. It takes up space in your home, right? Rather yeah. than in uh, your heart. Not a substantial amount of space. Uh, but anyway, go on. I think Horizon Zero Dawn for me is yet another game that was kind of punished by coming out in the year that it came out in. Yeah. And what I mean by that specifically for this game is it's a very very good open world map collection game. But that subgenre is still a very frustrating subgenre compared to what Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey were able to do. They yeah. took what was becoming a very codified version of an open world game, which is you have all these things on a map and you have to go get them. Witcher 3 falls in this category. Horizon Zero Dawn falls in this category. There are a whole bunch of games that are starting to kind of exemplify 
what a modern open world game is. Yeah. And it's it's a bit like having a laundry list. It's a bit like having your grocery list and you just need to check it off. And I wouldn't have noticed that as much because I think Horizon Zero Dawn does it pretty well. I wouldn't have noticed it as much if I hadn't also played all of Super Mario Odyssey and some of Breath of the Wild this year. Both right. games that are open world in their own ways, yeah. but um, are a lot more, frankly, fun in, in doing it. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn has, it, it's, it is the most beautiful game I've ever played. It is just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the combat is pretty fun. Um, the story is okay. Um, I like the characters. I like a lot of the voice work. Um, it's not a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. It's quite a good game. But it didn't quite make my top five. And I think so much of that is because of the year it came out in. Yeah, that That's makes fair. sense. So some of my honorable mentions are Danganronpa V3, Injustice 2, and Xenoblade Chronicles 2, all of which are in various top fives and we will discuss later. I have three more honorable mentions that I'd like to mention. <laughs> Honorably? Thank you for that. <laughs> Uh, my first is Steven No, Univ- For Honor is not a game we're going to My bad. My first is Steven Universe Save the Light, which I've mentioned uh, before on an episode of Play This. It's really the best Paper Mario game I've played in about a decade, including actual Paper Mario games. Which says more about the Paper Mario game yeah, exactly. than yeah. it does for Steven Universe Save the Light. Yeah, that is very true. But I would recommend it strongly to anyone that's even kind of a fan of Steven Universe. And if you're an incredibly big fan of Paper Mario and haven't experienced Steven Universe at all, you might want to check this gameplay out because it's it's really cool and they incorporate elements of Steven Universe so well. You can fuse characters together during combat. Which is really awesome, and That's they a have cool mechanic. yeah, they That's have completely really cool. new move sets too. It's really great, really well done. When it first came out, it was a buggy mess, but they have patched <laughs> they have patched those bugs, and it's a good game now. I feel like a lot of people just like saw that it was a buggy mess at the start and then ignored it. Don't ignore it; it's good. My next honorable mention is uh, Yakuza Kiwami. This was my introduction to the Yakuza series. I'd never played it before. It was a series that I was interested in because I'd heard a lot of good stuff about it. This sort of uh, action RPG that has a lot of authentic Japanese feel. And I liked it a lot. It was really fun. The story of Yakuza is very melodramatic, but in a very cool way. Really, just all the side quests you could go on were just really cool and you could just do so much in this world you could do so much in this world really entertaining stuff i watched daniel play a not a substantial amount of that game and uh it really is like playing through a japanese gangster soap opera yeah (laughs) yes exactly as wacky and weird and great as that description makes it sound yeah and my last one is rivals of ether uh, it's it's for PC, it's out on Steam and Xbox One, actually. And it's a very Smash Bros-styled platform fighter. It's basically just Smash Bros gameplay-wise, but the difference is just the characters and their movesets stand out so well. It's basically all the characters are furries, uh, and it's this, uh, like, you got a lion guy named Zetterburn, you got, like, a whale puppy named Orcane. And it's got, like, this pixel aesthetic, which actually looks better than I thought it would. Yeah, like, sometimes I, and I know, Daniel, you feel this way, too. Sometimes we don't really go for the pixel aesthetic because it just feels so half-assed. 
This is not uh, half-assed. No, this is well done. And they just have some of the most unique and creative movesets I've seen in a Smash-style game. Uh, Orkane, the whale puppy, actually, like, he will spit puddles onto the stage, and his up B move is to materialize where he left a puddle. Uh, so it it just creates, like, all these interesting dynamics and mechanics. There's a stag beetle named Crag who, like, can lift rocks from the ground and then throw them, but he can also, like, shatter the rocks if he sets them down. He's my main, and his upbeat just creates an enormous pillar wherever you're standing that you can then, like, jump off of and people can't walk through it, and, like, it's he's cool. Yeah. Uh, the game is really neat, and it, it actually... Has one of the best soundtracks that I've heard this year. <laughs> <laughs> Quite good. Yeah. Daniel, uh, I like how you use your host privilege to give yourself six honorable mentions. <laughs> <laughs> I I did that because three of them I'm not even talking about. So yeah, I decided yeah, yeah. to actually talk about three It's okay. Games. You can have one of mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Colin, very generous. Sean. So <laughs> Sean. Great. Um, so I had five honorable mentions. Uh, one of them was Tekken 7, as we already mentioned, and uh, one of them is going to be showing up in someone else's top five, so I'll just I'll talk about it then. Uh, my other three are, uh, first of all, Sonic Mania, which, uh, for those of you who don't know, is kind of a return to form for the Sonic franchise. It is a 2D Sonic with sprites and everything that was actually developed by a Sonic fan uh, who Sega hired to work on the game. And even though Sega released a mainline Sonic game in 2017, <laughs> Sonic Mania was still the best Sonic game. <laughs> it was a random ass game that this dude made. Right. So thanks, dude. I liked your game a lot. <laughs> yeah, Christian Mania, Whitehead. Sonic Mania Thank is a game you. that I will be getting soon. Nice. Yeah. I saw uh, some I, gameplay of it. I'm like, oh, I need that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm it's, to hearing your thoughts. It's, it's dope. Like, yeah, the the way they remix stages are excellent, and it has some of the best Sonic bosses I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I also had for my honorable mentions Monster Hunter Stories. I'm a huge Monster Hunter fan. As we've as covered. Everyone yeah. at <laughs> we've even, and um, we've mentioned on the podcast. Too. Yeah, and yeah. also that, that's been, like, aside from the, like, thanks, Sean, for making the theme music, the, the name drop on your podcast was like, and Sean really likes Monster Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> so I do. I'm, I'm a big fan of that franchise. Uh, Stories is kind of a, a spin-off where it's more of a Pokemon-style RPG where you're catching monsters and fighting with them. And I played through a lot of it, and I really enjoyed it. But then I got to this, like, slightly frustrating part and was like, I don't feel like fucking figuring this out. and never picked it up again. <laughs> and I feel like if that was enough to stop me from playing the game, then it probably doesn't deserve to be in my top five. Well, and now Monster Hunter World's coming out. And... Uh, that too. Yeah. Oh my god. It's coming out in like a week, you guys, uh, as of this <laughs> recording. And I'm so pumped. It's going to be so great. Daniel is never going to see me again <laughs> yeah, after really this game not. comes out. Yeah. He's going to be His in my yeah. PS4 playing this game for the rest of time. You, um, you, earlier you mentioned that you were out of out of town for a while on a business. I, I think Daniel will see you less somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah, uh, I, that's, that's not a Before you move on, I do want to say about Monster Hunter Stories, actually, that I played it, and I am the opposite of a Monster Hunter fan because every time I think about being interested in it, in the main franchise, I go, you know, actually, I've seen enough of Monster Hunter. I don't need to play it. Uh, <laughs> uh, just by virtue of being next to Sean as he plays through it so much. And uh, or just being burned out on it before I even play it. 
However, I'm sorry, but I also I'm not. Sorry. <laughs> right? that's, that, no, that's that's fine. However, story seemed like such a different experience, and I did I did want to give Monster Hunter a fair shake. I did, you know, I did want to see what what Sean loves about this franchise, at least to an extent. And I also am a sucker for Pokemon, so I I yeah, it's great. It's like Pokemon, but instead you kill them. <laughs> so I figure you wouldn't like it. Everyone's playing the Nuzlocke challenge. <laughs> yeah. Nuzlocke and challenge also misinterpreting the rules of Muzzle. <laughs> Instead of catching and you, you have to release them when they're killed, you're trying to just kill them straight off the bat. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I tried the demo and I actually loved Monster Hunter Stories. It was so cute. Uh, the, the gameplay was compelling enough that I ended up buying it... Uh, and one great feature of the demo is that if you buy the actual game, you can pick up uh, your save from where you left off. I played the full version for two more hours, and then I never picked it up again. Uh, <laughs> Those two hours were great, though, because yeah. Daniel could say, like, oh, man, I'm fighting a Keizu right now. And I could be like, I know. <laughs> I believe you're talking about monsters from Monster Hunter to me, a fan of Monster Hunter. <laughs> Um, anyway, I like that franchise a lot, and I'm glad that you played it a little bit. Yeah, it, it was a good time. Like it, it got a little repetitive, so I so I stopped. But it that was cool. That was fun. Um, and my last game on my honorable mentions is Fire Emblem Heroes. Now, Amy Lee, I know that this was almost your biggest disappointment of 2017, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and like that's that's not unfair um, because especially coming from the mainline Fire Emblem series to playing Fire Emblem Heroes, which is, like, a very kind of loot-boxy mobile game. You know, mm. there's a lot of that kind of element of randomness in it in terms of getting the heroes you want and of them being of the quality that you want. However, I played it a lot, and I had a pretty good time with it. Like, it's fun to just be able to whip out your phone and play, like, simple Fire Emblem while you're on the train. You know, like, that's just nice. It definitely wasn't Game of the Year material, but uh, I still got a lot of enjoyment out of it, and I appreciate it for what it is. Like, it is fun. It's just, I can, I'm not even joking when I say the amount of orbs you have to use for summoning people, and how many times I've gotten burned from that is ridiculous. I have used, it's like 20 orbs to summon five characters, right? So I would use 20 orbs, which is basically one orb per level that I've earned. So I'd go through 20 stages, use these 20 orbs, and I get three Hinatas in one pull. And it's like, I don't even care about this character. And I'm getting one of the worst characters in the game three times over. Like, I did not work my ass off with these 20 levels for you to get some shitty candy Mobile games. (laughs) It was definitely a struggle in the beginning. Now they're a lot more generous with their orbs. I think probably because of feedback they got about how much of a struggle it was uh, in the game's early life cycle. Um, I don't play it that much anymore, but, you know, I just, I wanted to throw it out there as something that I did enjoy in the year of our Lord 2017. (laughs) Great. So those were our honorable mentions for 2017. And we're going to do our top games of the year now. Most of us have five, but not all of us do. And we're going to do it a little bit differently than we did the honorable mentions. Instead of everyone unloading all of their games all at once, we're going to start with someone's uh, fifth best game and then go around and do all of our fifth best games and so on and so forth. Um, Sean, why don't we start with you? What was your fifth best game of 2017? Great. Uh, my fifth best game is Final Fantasy XII The Zodiac Age. And the reason I have it on here, um, even though I played it and enjoyed it when it was just Final Fantasy XII back in like 2007 or whatever. Um, the Zodiac Pre-Age? 
if you will, yeah, uh, the Paleo Zodiac Age. Um, is yeah, I didn't because... know it was a fossil game. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was all fossils. Nobody moved, and it sucked. Uh, no, uh, I, I like Final Fantasy XII, the original. Uh, the Zodiac Age is just really like how you do a re-release. Like this is a lot more than like, hey, we're putting Skyrim on the Nintendo Switch, and it's like the same game with the same bugs. You know, like they really went into the kind of core of the game. And they fixed a lot of stuff that was wrong with it. They uh, added in a lot of content from the uh, international Zodiac version, which was like not released in the states. And they even did stuff like like changing what items are available at certain points of the game and changing what certain treasure chests reward to make it kind of a smoother experience. They cleaned up the uh, graphics. Uh, they were able to kind of use a higher quality of the uh, voice acting audio. There's just a lot that of love that was put into this game. I appreciate kind of how much they were willing to update it and polish it up. I think there's still a lot about the Zodiac Age that feels like an older RPG. Um, in particular, uh, status effects are happen a lot, are really annoying, and last for a long time. <laughs> and I think that's something that we've kind of gotten away from in the modern era of gaming, if you will. However... Um, Still just such a solid re-release that I absolutely had to include it in my top five. I think that's a really good call, and actually I'm kind of surprised that you didn't mention the way that Zodiac Age actually added some completely new features. I think this is the first version of Final Fantasy XII where each character can have two jobs, is that uh, right? Yes, that is correct, oh, nice. uh, yeah. and uh, that's uh, definitely something that's very cool about it. I want to say there's 12 jobs altogether in six characters, or 10 jobs altogether in five characters, um, something like that. And so um, when the uh, Zodiac Jobs edition was originally released, you could only choose one class. And so you were just missing out on half the classes in the game uh, because you cannot switch classes. It's a permanent decision. This version, I'm able to kind of get everything out of the game in one playthrough. And I always appreciate that yeah. uh, in games uh, in general. So yeah, just, uh, just really great. Yeah, that sounds great. I might have to check that out. I really <laughs> I really enjoyed Final Fantasy XII. Well, this is a great opportunity <laughs> to talk about something. To do a, li- I, to do a little bit of... <laughs> well, let's also, do, let's also do a little bit of public shaming uh, <laughs> now that we've got the opportunity. So thank you, Sean. Hey, no problem. And uh, so my experience with Final Fantasy XII... <laughs> Uh, was a game I really liked. Uh, this came out like well, like college at slash high school time, two thousand six ish. Yeah, so yeah. right after I went to college, Colin, you were still in high school, and I was maybe thirty or forty hours into the game. I was enjoying it, and uh, Colin called me or texted me and asked if he could borrow my copy of the game because he was a little bit further than me and his disc had a scratch in it. Yeah, it stopped working. Yeah, it's not working. Needed to finish it, and so I was like, yeah, sure, you can borrow it. So then I give him mine and he gives me his. I don't know why. <laughs> no, because mine stopped working at that certain point. Oh, so I was playing on yours up to... The, I see. Right. Yeah. So I could yeah. play a little bit further. And then I just never got my copy back. <laughs> so I could never go any further than that one point where your disc stopped working. Well, now with three masters, you can. <laughs> yeah, my, my memory of Colin's uh, Final Fantasy XII experience is that like Colin just disappeared for a while and no one saw him. And yeah. He came back when he beat the game. <laughs> yeah. Which wasn't exactly uncommon behavior for yeah, Colin. Yeah, I didn't see him for like two weeks. Actually, it's funny. It's like there's a pattern of... Colin taking a Final Fantasy game and us never seeing it again. I gave him my copy of Final Fantasy Tactics Advance that I had 100% completed. Yeah, you were yeah. done with it. <laughs> Have you not seen this museum of games? That 
In Colin's case, it's a museum of games ripe for the taking. (laughs) (laughs) But only the ones you love. (laughs) All right, Amy, what was your uh, fifth best game of 2017? My fifth best game of 2017 was Danganronpa V3. Yeah. As... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, go on. All right. You're excited about this one. Danganronpa V3 is the third installment of the Danganronpa series, or... Well, I guess it is the third installment, if you don't count Ultra Despair Girls, which I don't. Yeah, and if you don't count the anime, which you probably shouldn't either. Right. The games basically encompass high schoolers being trapped in some kind of setting. Yeah. And there's an evil bear who forces them to enter into this killing game where one person has to kill somebody else successfully and not get caught for them to escape from the place they are trapped in. If I could just quickly say that um, when I'm trying to describe Danganronpa to people, I say a group of high schoolers are kidnapped by a terrorist organization (laughs) so that they won't be like, a bear! I'm not playing this game. Um, But yeah, there is a bear involved. Uh, Please continue. See, but with saying they get kidnapped by a bear, that makes it more interesting to me. If somebody said high schoolers got kidnapped by a terrorist organization i'd be like okay that's yeah it's I mean, like, oh, sure. okay so it's battle royale again <laughs> yeah, but if you say a bear you're like wait a second what uh also i'd wonder what that terrorist organization was doing with their time <laughs> well, you know bears well <laughs> you're not learning what the bear is doing with their time <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like the captain planet like villain problem like you've got these villains and their whole plan is to like put a little bit of toxic waste into the ocean. Like how are they gonna mini- like where are they getting the- But I have a the- whole problem with this construct. But if the bear was putting the toxic waste in the ocean, that'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's like that's just what he wants to do. Right. That's okay. Anyway, go on. Anyways, to be fair, each each student is an ultimate, which means they have an ultimate talent, which means they are the best at what they do. So in Danganronpa V3 uh, the protagonist is the ultimate pianist. So that means she's the best pianist there is. So that kind of gives it an interesting spin, I think, when it comes to killing game games. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the designs are really great. I really love the characters. I've been a Danganronpa fan for a while now. Absolutely loved the first two games. I was really excited for V3 when I heard it was announced. Yeah. The, the gameplay is really cool. They introduce new elements, which I really, really like. The trials are good. I don't think they're too hard. Once again, they introduce new elements to the trials, which makes it more interesting and more refreshing, but still keeps it just similar enough to the past two games where it doesn't feel like it's too different. Yeah. It's it's the last on my list because I think there's a few issues with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, not to spoil anything, since I know Sean is playing through it right now. Um, I knew that there was controversy about the ending of the game when I was playing it, and I wasn't sure which end of the divisiveness I would be. Yeah. Uh, I found out pretty quickly with the ending that I'm on the the group of people who hate the ending. (laughs) The more I think about it, (laughs) the more angry I get. (laughs) I understand the ending. I think it was a brilliant idea. I think the execution of it was terrible, which is why it's kind of the lowest on my list. But I had a really fun time with it. I, I got really attached to the characters. There's some really cool plot twists. Like, me and Daniel were very much uh, super into it. It was very oh, yeah. intense at some points. Uh, really great game. 
Daniel, I know you're aching to jump in here, but I actually want to preempt it with a question for you. Because of anyone I know, you're the person who likes Danganronpa the most. Oh, yeah. In fact, so to go so far as you've created your own tabletop RPG system around Danganronpa. So I'm <laughs> perfect crime coming to game shelves sometime. I don't know when. I'm still working on it. <laughs> Keep a lookout. <laughs> Just check every day. <laughs> Eventually, it'll be there. Just go to one bookshelf every day. <laughs> so I'm curious. Um, this game was one of your honorable mentions. I'm curious to hear why it didn't make it into your top five. Well, part of that is because my top five is filled with very, very good games. I love Danganronpa V3. I had a really good time with it. However, there is the thing that Amy brought up is that the the story of the game, the, the culmination of the game story, is incredibly divisive. And I think that ultimately the game sort of tries to subvert your expectations a lot throughout the game. I think some of the ways they subvert those expectations are incredibly cool. In fact, there's there's one part of the game that's one of my favorite moments in the entire franchise. Some of the ways that they subvert your expectations just did not land for me, execution-wise. I think the story as a whole ended up being a bit weaker. I'd say that Danganronpa V3 is better than the first game. It's better than Danganronpa 1, but Danganronpa 2 is still my favorite, so... You guys can't see my face, but I just made a very shocked and upset face that <laughs> because the first game holds a very special place to my heart oh number one is still like really good like i still like all three of these games are still like in my top 100 of all time probably but i think v3 is like a better game and a better experience than one was but two still is what i'm holding the brightest torch for uh, it's also yeah. worth noting that i am still playing through danganronpa v3 and a big reason for that is that uh, I got it on PC, um, <laughs> like pretty close to release. And uh, I recommend if you don't own the game yet that you don't do that. <laughs> if possible, I would suggest you get it on console. I have a very nice computer that is capable of running lots of games at full settings that for whatever stupid optimization reason struggles to run Danganronpa <laughs> V3. Uh, something about the port, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it's like doesn't run well on the hardware that I have going, but, um, you know, I'm going to be switching to a console playthrough, and uh, that sucks. <laughs> it's too bad that I had to do that. It's frustrating. Yeah, and I do want to say for Sean that I would still, like, fully recommend playing through the whole game. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yes. yeah especially because yeah, I want to know what you think of, uh, of how that all went. And, uh. and if you are a Dang Grandpa fan up to this point... You should still play V3, even if the ending isn't something you like. I think the journey is still a really good one. Yes. Yeah. It'll be like talking about Star Wars all over again. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, Colin, you don't have a top five, so nope. we're going to scoop Or well, you don't have a number five. Yeah. Yeah, I have a top yeah. two. Right. So we'll yeah. just... Whoop. Yeah. Okay. My uh, fifth best game of 2017 is Cosmic Star Heroine. And this is a game I'm not going to talk about too much because I will be recommending it to Daniel at some point. Yeah. Which is funny because you originally recommended it to me <laughs> even though you hadn't played it. Correct. Um, Cosmic Star Heroine is a game by Z-Boy Games. It is an RPG that um, is heavily inspired, I believe, by Chrono Trigger. And it has a really dynamic and different battle system that I, I think is just fantastic. It's got an okay story that um, I think is told a little too quickly. Okay. I think the game clocks in around between 15 and 20 hours. It could probably be a little bit longer and uh, have a better payout. 
Um, but there's so many great characters in the game to collect and the combat is just a lot of fun. And while the story maybe doesn't go as deep or isn't as interesting as it could be, it is fun to, to watch unfold. Um, so that was my fifth best game of the year. And we'll be talking about that game more down the road. I'm excited to talk about that game more down the road. It, it does seem really cool. And I'm really glad that it was so much enough of your jam that it's number five (laughs) on your list. So yeah, obviously I can't talk about it too much yet, but I'm, I'm excited too. It's cool that you like it so much. My number five is Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I think it's a really good game, but we'll talk about it more later, probably. Not probably. It's on someone else's list. Hi. <laughs> we already said that that was the function we were going to follow, so it's okay to say it. Maybe we'll talk about it more later. Wink. All right, Sean, what was your number four? Um, so, first of all, I'd just like to say that while I enjoy the Final Fantasy franchise... I wouldn't call myself like a Final Fantasy super fan. I mean, the evidence like, would point I, to the contrary like, right now. I like the games, um, you know, but it's not like my number one franchise of all time. Having said that, my number four is Final Fantasy XIV <laughs> Stormblood. I enjoyed uh, Stormblood a lot. It's kind of coming off the heels of Final Fantasy XIV Heavensward, which was very high fantasy. It's about like a war between elves and dragons. It doesn't get much more high fantasy than that. And so, going into Stormblood, um, it's much more boots on the ground. It's about um, a small nation rebelling against the evil Garlean Empire. If you kind of dig the, uh, you know, the kind of ambiance of, like, Final Fantasy Tactics or games like that, where it feels much more kind of like, you know, there's a war going on and there's soldiers on the ground dealing with, like, soldier problems, you know... Uh, then I think that uh, the story of this uh, expansion is definitely something you know that you'll enjoy a lot. More in-depth political intrigue. Exactly. And political intrigue is like a big buzzword for me in the game. <laughs> if they have like kind of palace machinations happening, I'm down. I'm there for that. I also think that the gameplay is really solid. Um, they introduce you know a lot of new dungeons and a lot of trials, which are kind of like eight-player boss fights against really big bombastic enemies. I think those are all really fun. They brought in two new classes, Red Mage and Samurai, and they're both really fun to play. Uh, The reason it isn't higher up on my list is that it's an expansion, and it's also an expansion to an MMO. And so in that way, like, I think that, you know, even if you're playing a really good MMO, it doesn't feel quite as deep or as interesting as playing a normal game. You know, the draw is kind of that you're playing online with other people. And so in that sense, it doesn't feel like a full enough game to rank more highly for me, um, but since it was competing for the number four spot with a port, I figured it at least ranked more highly than that. So, a port uh, of a Final Fantasy, Fantasy game. <laughs> I, I've seen you play a lot of Stormblood, and I'm sure that one of the reasons it's on this list is because instead of trying out other 2017 games, you played Stormblood since you got back. Yes, I got back from my business trip and I said to Daniel, you know what, in the week leading up to us recording this podcast, I'm going to try to finish some 2017 games and then I played Stormblood <laughs> the entire game. <laughs> because it's a very good expansion to a game that I like a lot. I don't really know if there's a higher compliment you can play of a game than you played it over other games. Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, that's, that is fair. So, uh, well-deserved number four on my list. Great. Amy? So number four on my list is actually Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which is surprising to me because Daniel accidentally ordered two copies. (laughs) (laughs) Good financial planning, Daniel. (laughs) 
So he just kind of turned to me and he's he's just like, do you want this second copy? I said, well, I'll sure give it a try. Like from what I've watched you play for a little bit, it seems like something I would be into. And it's it's pretty charming as it is. And I actually really got way more into it than I thought I would. I started playing it. Uh, it it's reminiscent to me of Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy, because I have never played a Xenoblade game before. I played a tiny bit of X, I believe it was. Yeah, yes. Um, but that was... I have a very limited Xenoblade experience. So playing Chronicles 2 is really awesome. I think the protagonist is a little generic, and I haven't played too sure. much. Yeah. Rex is a little generic. He's very... Don't hurt my friends. <laughs> Don't hurt my friends. Yeah, no. one one thing I really appreciate Rex, about Rex is that he has this really thick North London accent. <laughs> so, like, he's saying all the normal protagonist stuff, but it's all like, we've got to find the power crystals. <laughs> it's, like, really fun to listen to yeah. um, if you're doing the uh, dubbed version. But uh, please continue. I am doing the sub because the dub was driving me crazy and I thought it was very strange. The uh, Yeah, one thing I'll say about the dub is that it's very hit or miss. I think there are some very good casting decisions uh, in the dub. However, the female protagonist of the game uh, says every one of her lines incredibly flatly. Uh, it's really weird. The I think that the voices you like in that game, you like a lot. Yeah, and then the other voices you just ignore. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, playing the game with Japanese voices is a free DLC option in the game, and the Japanese voice track is is good. It's you know it's it's what you'd expect. It's solid. Exactly, which is why I downloaded it after watching Daniel play a few hours. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, I wonder what the sub sounds like. And the main heroine, Pira, sounds way more emotional and upbeat and uplifting yeah. than uh, dub Pira is. Because she'll be like, Rex, we have to go. Yeah. But in the, an- in the, in the it's, anime... It's, it's where she says everything like... <laughs> she, she says everything casually like she's ordering a sandwich. Like, Rex, we have to go. Right. Like, oh, yeah. so, and then there's like an explosion yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. But anyways, I think the sub is really great. The, the dub is pretty decent. The The open worldness of it is insane. The yeah. map is huge. There's so many creatures you can fight to grind. You don't really have to go looking for creatures to fight because they're just <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. I do have an issue with one of them that's like level 70 when you're <laughs> like level 6 and you're just walking in a field and he will randomly like charge the, you if you're within a specific range. Yeah, the the game has like a very like realistic uh, ecology. Is that the word I want yeah. to say? Yeah. Yeah, it like it yeah, there's just all sorts of monsters at various levels. Like, it's not like, okay, cool, I'm level 6, so every monster on this path is also going to be, like, within my level range. Uh, it's like, no, like, you're you're walking through a field and a level 95 gorilla happens to live in that area, so he's, he's not going to leave just because you're low level. <laughs> he's going to attack you if you get near his nest. It's kind of cool. I think having the immense open world is really appealing, even though I'm not really a person who's super into open worlds like that but the amount of side quests and places you can go and i've only played about 40 hours of it at this point is just incredible to me and i haven't even gotten halfway through the story yet it is insane oh yeah the characters are really cool as i mentioned before nia the cat girl is my favorite character (laughs) the the kind of loot box system they have to gain blades which is your weapon companion basically yeah 
that's really cool. I have some issues with it uh, <laughs> just because there's two different types. You have a common core and then a a rare core. A rare core. There's also legendary cores which you haven't got yet. But oh, anyway. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go on. Anyways, if you there's a chance of getting a rare and a common core, and also getting a common and a rare core, which bothers me because I think if you should have a rare core, which you've worked hard to find, should give you a rare instead of having a small chance of it being normal. Yeah. Because that's already happened to me about two or three times, and that's frustrating. Right. But the designs are really cool. The game's really cool. The music's amazing. The story is compelling to me for the most part. Uh, it's really great so far. Yeah, I uh, like that was one of my honorable mentions, and I'm far enough now. I haven't beaten it yet, but I'm about 80, 80 to 90 hours in, and I think I can safely say that I'm not going to like it at the end as much as I loved the first Cine Blade Chronicles, which is one of my favorite games of all time, and which I'll probably recommend to Max at some point. But a very long time from now, uh, because he's already busy with the 100-hour RPG that I've recommended, <laughs> and I like to be at least a little considerate to my friend. But Xenoblade Chronicles 2 has a lot of the stuff that I loved about 1, and it's it's got a story that's grown on me a lot, and yeah... Uh, some of some of the character designs could be much better, <laughs> but a lot of them actually are really cool. It's okay. You can say the bunny girl. Yeah, the bunny girl. The, the battle system is also a little wonky for me because I'm not used to something like that. That's fair. But it is still enjoyable for me. Yeah, and the battle system is actually something that initially I'm like, I don't know if I like this as much as the first game uh, because there are some key differences. They've streamlined the battle system a lot more. The battle system really stands out as something really cool on its own merits once you get far enough in the game and, and unlock enough features. Uh, bit of a slow starter, but still good stuff. Cool. So, Colin, I know you don't have a number four best game, but I, I want to give you the opportunity to stay in, engaged in the conversation. <laughs> Did you maybe want to share, like, your favorite Atlanta Falcons play of the year? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Well, my favorite Atlanta Falcons play of the year is, of course, Deion Jones intercepting Drewbies to win our first game against New Orleans. Oh, there's nothing uh, better for a Falcons fan than Drewbies failing. Right, of course. And then also Deion Jones, a Louisiana native, yeah. uh, with the game-winning play. How did he feel about that? He felt great. Team over, over country? Always. Yeah. This is the kind of podcast magic that I wanted to be directly involved <laughs> in. Other people uh, love to like sports. <laughs> yeah, game. I know. I'm, I'm glad know. you agreed. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Sports Corner with Colin. Um, we'll check in one more time on that uh, before he gets to say his games. My uh, fourth best game of the year is a game, Colin, that was in your honorable mentions, and that is Golf Story. <laughs> and I do want to say that I I agree with your criticism of the game and that it, it it's hard to say that it feels like enough of a game to put it in a top five list. Right. Um, but it's just so charming. It really is. And I'm into golf, both in uh, the physical world as well as the digital world. And it's a, it's a more satisfying <laughs> golf experience than you might expect from a game like it. It really is. There's there's a lot more to consider with your golfing than just like, oh, right. just hit it as hard as you can. Or like, half as hard in this case, or whatever. They do a good job of making like a, an arcade simulation version of some golf things like spin on your shot mm -hmm. and factoring for the wind um, and things like that that you're kind of alluding to. Uh, it, it, there's more depth to each shot than the game necessarily even needs to have. Right. And I appreciate that. 
yeah, it didn't hook me for as long as it hooked you guys, obviously, but I, I still had a good time with what I played. I thought it was very charming and funny. But what I was actually going to say is that when Max said that he enjoys golf in both the physical and the digital world, did anyone else Think imagine... Think of Digimon yeah. immediately. <laughs> did anyone yeah. else imagine a Digimon golfing? Change into digital <laughs> golfers. <laughs> well, there's a crossover I never needed, knew I needed. Oh, man, I would absolutely play a game where, like, Gatomon is, like, struggling with a nine on him. <laughs> it's just, like, down. twice his size. Yes. Yeah. Uh. So, but Golf Story, the game, uh, <laughs> it's a very charming game. It, it's it's humorous. There's one scene that I know a lot of people on the internet aren't a super big fan of, and I would probably agree. Uh, the rap scene just goes on. It's not... It, There's a rap it, scene? It, it yeah. thinks it's funny, and it is a little bit, but it just goes on too long. It does go on a long time. Um, but, but, like, overall, it's not that long. Yeah, yeah. It's just longer than it needs to be, right. which is kind of ironically the opposite of the game itself. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's a great little game. It's it's the first game I played on the Switch, actually. I got it. I got the Switch for Odyssey, and I got it before Odyssey came out, so I played Golf Story while I was waiting. And, like, for the price that it is at the time I played it, it just was a really great experience. It was a great introduction to the Switch. I also appreciate, um, like on a, just on a conceptual level, that there is an independent game studio that made a game that only came out on Switch yeah. in the first year of the Switch's life. Yeah. And like they, they stuck that flag in the ground, and I appreciate that. And they made a great game. They really did. I'm really excited to see what they do next. I kind of hope that they just keep riffing off of their, let's take like Mario Golf, like how that was an RPG, and let's just turn that into a full game. I hope they just make like Tennis Story next. That'd be great. Although there is a new Mario Tennis coming out, so right. maybe not right. timing. For yeah. Them. Well, you know, it'll take them like two or three years. It'll be good timing then. <laughs> All right, Daniel, what was your number four? But actually, let's just skip. <laughs> Stop looking at the list. Can we spoilers. cut this next part? <laughs> no. <please>. Preemptively. <laughs> yeah, the, the, just yeah. get, rip the bandaid, please. <laughs> All right, set, set me up nicely, please. No, that's the setup oh, you're getting. God, great, thanks. And now, Daniel Thorson. <laughs> and now, Daniel Thorson reveals his number four Guys, game of the year pick. Do you not hear what you're saying? We're only on number four, and these are the extended bits we're putting in? We're going to be here till Tuesday. My number four game of 2017 is... Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links. Great. Wow. <laughs> You've said it, and now we can move on. <laughs> uh, this, by the way, was one of my honorable mentions. Yeah. Please continue. That's right. Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links. <laughs> and I know you this... can't even say it. We're all <laughs> laughing. I know this is kind of a funny pick, but I actually believe that Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links is probably the best free-to-play mobile game that I have ever played. And I think this for... Four reasons. <laughs> this is gonna be the longest segment. This is gonna be the longest segment. This segment's never gonna end. Uh, first off, the way with which they handle microtransactions is actually brilliant. So obviously, Yu-Gi-Oh is a card game, uh, and you get booster packs. You get booster packs in Yu-Gi-Oh Duel Links out of specific booster boxes, and they all have a finite amount of cards in them. That means that the that the super rare cards, the the ultra rare cards. Uh, there's one or two of each in each box, and that will never change. Which means that if you buy every booster in a box, you're guaranteed to get the rarest cards in that box. Uh, that makes it so much different than 
pretty much every other video game out there with microtransactions where if you get like a loot box style thing, it's completely random what you get every single time so you can get 200 loot boxes and never get that diva skin you want. But you're guaranteed to get the cards you need if you put enough of the the in-game currency gems into it. That is really great and it makes the experience that much more enjoyable, especially since reason two, generosity. When you start the game, you get, like, 3,000 gems, and it costs, like, 50 gems for a pack of cards. So, just starting the game gets you that much, and there's continuously events. Leveling up your character gets you gems. You will not need to spend real money on this game if you keep playing it. And I'd just like to jump in with two things. One... Um, it is actually impressive how generous the game is with the gems. Like, yeah. I was building a water deck at one point, so I was buying a lot of the same expansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did get to the point, without ever having spent a cent of my own money on this game, where I was like, oh, I there's no point in buying more cards for this expansion because I have all the ones that I want. I haven't been able to do that with Shadowverse or Hearthstone or like any other digital card game that I've played. The other point is that I wish we were recording this on video so that you could see the way Max is looking at Daniel as he extols the virtues of Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links for this long. Well, and what I want to say, too, is that the things that you're pointing out are issues with free-to-play games. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not, not as bad as other right. free-to-play games. It's we're like still talking about shitty games. game mechanics that they just do well. No, that's, that's the thing. I... Part of the reason I appreciate this game so much is that there are some long-standing problems in mobile games, especially the way that 99% of them treat microtransactions, and this this game actually handles them in a respectable way and no one's paying attention to it. I think more games should at least follow Yu-Gi-Oh's Yu-Gi-Oh Duel Links' example. <laughs> That's a, I, I guess what an amazing to, sentence I just got to say. To, <laughs> to frame it differently, if Yu-Gi-Oh Duel Links were released as a game that did not have the option for microtransactions, it would still be a good game. Like it's not like the Star Wars Battlefront two situations where where they're like we're not gonna let you do microtransactions until January and the game is like fucking unplayable until then. Yeah, like they actually do give you so many gems that like I have a competitive deck and I've never spent any money on the game and that's pretty cool. You Thank know? you, Sean. I am only half done. <laughs> <laughs> Reason number three: variety. You can play as a bunch of different playable characters in this game, all of which that have skills that are unique to that character. So you can play as Yugi, you can play as Joey. Joey has a skill where, like, when he's down to a critical amount of life points, every card that involves a coin flip will automatically land on heads. Uh, there's Bandit Keith, the guy with the America flag bandana on his head. His skill called Switcheroo, where you can... <laughs> Max is just angrily eating a pizza in my direction. Like, like, like as as Daniel was just plowing on and assuming that everyone in the room knew who the fuck Bandit Keith is. Max like looked up at the ceiling as though he was praying to God that this would be over soon. And yet we keep extending this it. This is the most magical moment of the podcast. <laughs> 
Bandit Keith. It's Bandit Keith, Donald. Sorry. <laughs> Not Bandana Keith. <laughs> he does have a bandana. <laughs> so, I'm Bandit Keith. on Princess's <laughs> behalf. <laughs> Bandit Keith has an ability called Switcheroo where you can uh, put a card back in his deck and then he can draw a new card. That has saved me on multiple matches. As of the end of 2017, there were 24 different playable characters, and I have made at least one specialized deck for almost every character in that game. All of them except, like, two. Would you say Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links is the game you've played the most time in in 2017? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. It's It's kind of a running gag in the like Amy Lee Sean Daniel household because we all live together yes that like any spare moment Daniel has like it'll just be quiet for a second and you'll hear Yu-Gi-Oh Duel Links <laughs> as he's starting the game he does play it a lot I uh, I really yeah. do yeah and the fourth reason is presentation this game obviously has had a popular anime that's aired over a long period of time ago uh, you know, the, it had the original Yu-Gi-Oh! anime, there's also the Yu-Gi-Oh! GX anime, and there's characters in Duel Links from both of those animes. They managed to get every original voice actor from those series to reprise their role for Duel Links. Somehow. <laughs> and uh, and when, when you play matches, like, if you play matches Joey, and you're fighting uh, Kaiba, they'll say unique lines to each other. And it's just the presentation is really good. I, believe it or not, did not care about Yu-Gi-Oh! as a franchise before Duel Links came out. I had watched maybe half of an episode of the original series like 10 years ago. Never really got into it. That's not true. Because we watched the Yu-Gi-Oh! rewrite. Series. Oh, oh you're, yeah. you're right. With the exception of Yu-Gi-Oh! The Abridged Series, which I did watch like a full it's season so of. It's really funny. But I never I never really experienced real Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, and then Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links came out. I was like, you know, I might as well see what the card game's about. See, see why people play it so much. And since then, I have watched real episodes of the TV show <laughs> because... <laughs> because the character dynamics and the presentation have hooked me so much in Duel Links. Uh, Amy and I are partway through season two in Yu-Gi-Oh! GX, which is the most underrated anime of all time. <laughs> um, listen, I, I'm going to cut in really quick, and I can't believe I'm doing this. Mm. But I support Daniel and his decision for Duel Links because I <laughs> downloaded it when he did. We've played it together. I'm obviously not as big into it as he is, but the game is pretty great. They, there's some key differences between like actual Yu-Gi-Oh! and playing Duel Links where you're down to three cards. Three, three monster cards instead of five. Like Oh, right? like three, three monster spaces, yeah. you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is a little frustrating sometimes and makes it harder. But... The game is pretty great. It is generous. It is really nice. The amount of characters you get to play is amazing. I'm having a really good time playing it, and I've actually picked it up a little bit more. Daniel's very passionate about this. I wish you guys could have seen his facial expressions while doing this. Yes. It is a little ridiculous. Um, you know, I I also enjoyed the game. Uh, not as much as Daniel did, because nobody did. <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously, I'm also a super fan of some other franchises, like Monster Hunter. Uh but, uh, yeah, you know, I appreciated hearing your take on this. Not that I haven't heard it before. <laughs> We've had fun here today, kids. <laughs> it, 
it'll, it'll be really funny if like we get through our number one picks and that's still the most that any of us talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sean, that'll be funny. <laughs> anyway. I, just, I just knew that this would be the pick that I had to justify the most, so I was prepared. Anyway. Some on, might say over-prepared. <laughs> All right, Sean, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Let's my, get back on track here. So my number three pick is Persona 5. And uh, that's on some other people's lists, too, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. I do just want to say that I didn't play Persona 5 very much. I got through, I think, the first dungeon. But I did watch Daniel and Amy Lee both play a lot of Persona 5. And even just watching it, I had a great time. (laughs) So, like, uh, I really just appreciate what a quality game it is. And uh, even though my hands-on controller experience with it was limited, I still feel like it deserves a spot in my top five. Nice. So my third pick is Doki Doki Literature Club. I stumbled upon this game actually through Steam before it had even gathered a cult following where I was looking at some of the most popular games and one of the newer games and I saw Doki Doki Literature Club and the thumbnail is just this cute anime girl in a pink background and it's a heart that says Doki Doki Literature Club. I was like, oh, that actually looks kind of cute. I'm into, like, dating sim games. I think it's really cool to show different facets of characters and the story mm-hmm. by going through each character. And <laughs> one of the tags was psychological horror. <laughs> and I was very confused because the thumbnail didn't portray that at all. It was just a cute anime girl. Yeah. So I showed it to Daniel, and I said, I think I'm going to download this and play this because it was free to play. Yeah. Uh, so I downloaded it. He watched me play because he said he was interested in it. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a wild ride <laughs> to go into that blind, like as blind yeah. as possible. Yeah, as blind as possible. What I will say, uh, if you have any anxiety or history of depression, uh, or if you have any specific triggers, I would maybe ask someone else that's played the game if that would be okay for you to play first or or look up the content warnings. A lot of the content warnings do kind of spoil what's in the game, but I, I think it's, you know, take care of yourself. Yeah, <laughs> and it is worth noting that the creator of the game has said on the record that he doesn't believe, you know, discussing the points of the game you're thinking about yeah. is a spoiler, like kind of talking about the game's true nature, if you will. Uh, he doesn't right. consider that a spoiler for the game. Yeah, but, but it's, still, it's but, still cool to go into the game and be surprised by it. Yes, that is true. So... That's what I did. I went into it kind of surprised by everything, and that was yeah. completely worth it. I will talk lightly about some of the stuff that happens in there, so just if you want to play this game, maybe skip over this part. <laughs> Playing the game was amazing. It's got it's very cute, very charming. The designs are really cute. There's different kind of archetypes of each girl you can date, basically. You're the generic main character. There's a lot of really cool things that Doki Doki Literature Club does. It starts out as what seems like a very charming, just regular dating sim. There's four high school girls that you go to meet basically for their literature club, because you have to join a club for your high school. Your best friend Sayori uh, actually kind of asks you if you can join the literature club with her so she can know somebody. So she goes in, you meet these four girls, everything seems fine. (laughs) Until... You kind of get deeper into the game when you choose somebody's route. That is when the fun starts happening. And it is it is very horrific. 
It's very fascinating, and yeah. I think something else that's really cool is that it's a literature club, it focuses on poetry, and it actually features individual poems from each character every day. Yeah. So every day you go in, you can read Sayori's poem, or you can read Yuri's poem, or you can read Natsuki's or Monica's, and yeah. each of them have their own individual style, which is really cool. Yeah. And I appreciate as somebody who really likes poetry. <laughs> yeah, the poems are actually good in the game. They're, they don't need to be, but they are. They're very cute. The mechanics of whose route you go down is yeah it's it's very interesting and uh i picked sayuri first your best friend because that's the trope i like the most and she was adorable yeah and her thing is that she is very suicidal you don't think that because she comes off as a very happy upbeat person who's very caring for people she loves especially you as the main character uh the way they handle her depression is so real that it surprised me because it's just this weird horror dating sim that you wouldn't expect for it to handle it so realistically. Yeah. And I really, really appreciate that as somebody who is mentally ill and has depression, like the way they portray it is, is nice and not offensive at all. And it's a very major point in her character. And they do that with the other characters as well. Each character has something kind of, they're going through, like, some kind of trauma or abuse or something. Yeah. And they don't reveal that until later on in the story. But the way they handle the mental illness, the way they handle just how crazy and anxiety-inducing the horror is and how shocking it was, like, yeah. there's one scene in particular Daniel actually was really affected by. Uh, yeah, no, I, I was, like, out of it for the rest of the day. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it can get pretty heavy. It is very graphic, so that's a warning. The music is amazing. It portrays the scenes really well. The, yeah, yes. the music that plays during the scene I was talking about with Daniel like yeah. gives me anxiety when I listen to it because it accidentally very, came on YouTube yeah, the other day. Yeah, it's very tense. Yeah. Uh, just an amazing game all uh, all around. Very well done. I was very surprised and taken aback by how much I loved it. Cool. Cool. Uh, Colin, uh, is there anything else from the year 2017 you'd like to highlight in this slot? <laughs> What's your favorite movie of the year? Uh, my favorite movie of the year is probably Lady Bird. No, Lady oh, Bird's a good right, movie. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that yeah. one. Yeah. That's a uh, real good Sarah's movie. Sarah's amazing. Yep. Um, Laurie Metcalf better win an Oscar. Yeah, she she does. She's great. Yeah, the movie's fantastic. Was there anything you'd personally like to highlight since Daniel so rudely jumped in? <laughs> I thought uh, that was a good good. It was thing. a good problem. Yeah, that's <laughs> a, a good one. I'll, I'll, yeah, filling in with the movie is great. Great. Lady Bird is also my favorite movie of the year. Uh, my number three video game of the year uh, is Pyre. And... A, I've talked about the game a lot already on this podcast, and B, it's higher up on someone else's list. So uh, I'll I'll pass it along to Daniel for now. All right, my number three is Persona 5, but it's yeah. also two people's number two, so we won't talk about it too much. But yeah, I have a lot that I love about Persona 5. I'm going to talk about it later. Great. Sean, your number two game. Yeah, um, my number two game of the year of 2017 is uh, Resident Evil 7. Now, um, I did not actually beat Resident Evil 7. I got about halfway through, and that's because the game is terrifying. (laughs) I got to a part where, like, you're upstairs on the first floor, and you have to go down into this, like, meat locker basement and, like, fight your way through all these things and solve all these puzzles down there. And it just led to me, like, booting up my save file, walking out of the safe room, looking down the stairs and saying to myself, I, Sean Francis in real life, don't want to go (laughs) down there. It's such a horrifying game. I have appreciated the Resident Evils that have come out 
since Resident Evil 4, the kind of goofier, more action-oriented Resident Evils. Um, but I have missed the kind of more original style game, and uh, this is just such a return to form for the franchise. Um, I like the gameplay a lot, I think the plot is really interesting, and... It's so scary, y'all. So, uh, (laughs) seeing for for those of you who aren't familiar, the kind of story of Resident Evil Seven is you have this girlfriend who is working as a like an au pair uh, for a family in Louisiana. Louisiana, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like a kind of a swamp area, and you end up going out there after you get some kind of creepy videos uh, from her, Mm -hmm. and it's you know it's like a like a horror movie, like a kind of modern horror movie where like. The family, like, you know, they eat people, right. and there's, you know, a <laughs> It's disease. like this, this insane redneck family, yeah. and a lot of the game is just, like, members of the family, like, following you around with shotguns and terrorizing you inside this house. Um, it's much kind of smaller scale than more recent Resident Evil games, where you've been, like, jumping out of helicopters and running along skyscrapers and shit, right. you know. And it's I, much lower key. Yeah. I haven't played it. I've only watched people play it in a speedrun fashion, and that was still terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I oh I haven't played it myself, but I would be in the living room as uh, Sean played through as like bits of the story with all of the lights on uh, <laughs> in broad daylight, and I would see him get to like certain points in the game, and be like. That's enough for today. <laughs> I, I was playing it in like 20 to 30 minute bursts yeah. until I got to the scary basement. Yeah. Sean, do you anticipate finishing the game? And if so, do you think you'll get the DLC? I would absolutely love to finish the game, um, especially now that I'm going to have some time on my hands. I definitely want to finish the game, um, and I do want to get the DLC. Yes, I think it's absolutely worth it. Cool. All right, Amy, your number two game of 2017. Well... My number two is also your number two. Let's kick it off. So let's do it. Persona 5. Persona 5. Persona 5. Four out of five people are now going to talk a lot about Persona 5. (laughs) Sorry, Colin. But I played Persona 4. (laughs) You played Persona 4? Yeah, some of it. Okay. But also, let's say, um, Daniel, from you and me personally... Let's not talk too much about Persona 5. Yes, we do not want to render the next episode of our podcast redundant. So mostly this will be Amy and Sean talking about Persona 5. And then we will respond a little bit. Yes. Cool. Take it away, Amy. So I had played Persona 4 last year. Actually, I finished Persona 4 Golden two days before Persona 5 (laughs) came out. Because I was in such a hurry to finish the game before Persona 5 came out. So... I had just gotten that whole emotional Persona 4 experience. I started Persona 5. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about the game. Uh, Boy, did I fall in love with it really fast. Just about as fast as I fell in love with Persona 4 Golden. The characters are really great. They're very strong. They stand out to me. I got really attached to them very much, (laughs) as Daniel can attest to that. Yes. The, The new mechanics that they bring to the table is nice as a change from Persona 4. There's different things you can do. It's really great. I think some of the story points are really good. I think the lessons that they teach is also kind of really important, especially very relevant to nowadays issues. (laughs) Yeah. Oof. Um, The music is amazing. I think the the location of the game is a lot of fun and perfect for the, the story and the plot for what's going on. The reason it's not my game of the year, because I was so close to putting it as my game of the year, is because I think 
the way they treat two particular characters <laughs> is terrible and incredibly tone deaf to what they stand for yeah. in the game. Like, can I talk about on? Yeah, I mean, I, this is something that Daniel and I will talk about a lot in the next episode. But <laughs> right. I think if you want to get your two cents in, you absolutely should. Yeah. So on Takamaki is my favorite character. She's this blonde pigtailed model who's a quarter American and she kind of stands out because of her appearance and her being blonde and blue eyed and very pale uh, in the high school scene. And her whole point <laughs> in the story is that men who only sexualize women and that's the only way they treat them is disgusting and terrible and you shouldn't do that and you should respect women. And like the rest of the game <laughs> just sexualizes her. Yeah. Like that's her almost her only point in the rest of the entire game. And that kills me because how can you be so tone deaf with something you've you just tried to prove in the first chapter in the first dungeon of the game? Yeah. It's the way they did her dirty was so terrible and she's my favorite <laughs> character and it upsets me to a very passionate amount. Basically, she's still a great character. Like, there's still a lot of really good scenes involving her. Yeah. But the way they just kind of treated her was awful. So I think that, along with some other problematic stuff, like having some of your dating options be adult women while you're a high schooler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There is a weird subplot where yeah. you yeah. romance one of your teachers and it made me so uncomfortable. So the uncomfortable. Whole time. Yeah. She's not even the only adult you can romance in that That's game. That's true, but oh, she's like the most weird. awkward of them. Yeah. Oh, most awkward, yes. definitely. No, I yeah, I sure I sure love this game's message that pedophilia is okay if it's a woman with a boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not great, but there's still so much to love about this game. Yes. It's- The different RPG elements, the fact that you can read books to up your kindness or do something is really cool. The the different social links you can have is amazing. It's this game, there's so much well done about it that it makes me so happy, but just the fact that they just completely miss the point of some of their characters kills me, and characters are the most important thing to me in a video game, I would say. Yeah. Especially so, in a video game like Persona. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you just kind of ignore the whole point of their character, that that's why I bumped it down to my number two instead of my number one. Um, if I could just jump in with one thing that I don't think you touched on too much. One of the things I really appreciate about Persona 5 is just the aesthetic. Yes. Like, it's so rare for me to go into an RPG and to, like, open up the menu screen and to think, like, wow... These menus be popping. <laughs> best menus of 2017. Right. Yeah. Like the, the cool... Like, I've been a better red... category than best cat. <laughs> uh, the cool like red on white on black thing they have going on and the kind of jazzy you know um, aesthetic that they have. Like it's so cool that someone released a Persona 5 style instant messenger app for Android. <laughs> just so that you can bring that into your own life. Like um, best menus 2017 <laughs> for what? sure. Yeah, like the... One of the main things that helped me make my decision of recommending Persona 5 over Persona 4 to Max is that game's got style. Yeah, it does. One other thing I will just bring up about Persona 5 before we move on is Persona 5 is really cool in the way it handles a lot of mature themes. There's a lot of very serious issues in Persona 5 that I think that they do handle well. It's just some of the other problematic <laughs> things that just hold it back for me. But the way they do handle some of the stuff is really cool. I do really appreciate what they did with some of the characters. Yeah. I think the the darkness of the game is really appealing. And I 
as I've said before, I really like the dark and gritty parts of a game, and Persona 5 does that really well. Yes. Well, Daniel and I will have many more thoughts to share. Uh, spoiler, we echo a lot of the thoughts that you just heard. Uh, <laughs> but we'll have a, a much more in-depth conversation on Persona 5 uh, two weeks from now. Um, where I'm at the game right now, just to give everyone an update, is I'm around 60 hours in. So I've seen a lot of the game. I've certainly seen enough of the game to know that it's my number two game of the year as of now. Um, and I and given some of the problems it has, I don't think it could jump any higher than that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a great game. And we'll, we will uh, have, a, have a good conversation about that in the future. I'm so excited. <laughs> All right, Colin. I'm back in it. How are you? <laughs> <I'm back. laughs> How are you doing over there? I'm good. I uh, I'm ready to talk about video games again. Awesome. <laughs> Go for it. What was your second best game of 2017? My second best game 2017 was Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. This is probably a lot better of a place for a game to be than I don't know, say below Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links. Yeah, I, <laughs> um, I think it's so. I, I've seen it a lot on a lot of other people's best game of the year lists. Um, much higher than they rank uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. If they rank Duel Links at all. <laughs> anyway. All of them. So, I love the Zelda series. I've played almost every game in it. I never played Skyward Sword for some reason. I don't know exactly why. Um, but I never did. It's good. Uh, yeah. yeah. I've, I've heard good things. Yeah. Um, but this was... It might be my favorite Zelda game. Wow. Yeah. Which is what previous to this would you have called your favorite Zelda game? Um, Ocarina of Time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Da- Daniel's <laughs> weird thoughts about Ocarina of Time can be the subject of a future podcast <laughs> when Max recommends it to him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <again, no. laughs> so Breath of the Wild. What's unique about it among Zelda games is, of course, that you get basically all of your kind of normal tools that you would get unlocked throughout the game right at the start. Um, you get your bombs, you get your arrows, you get your freeze power, you know, your classic <laughs> freeze power. Right, right. Um, but you get all of those runes or runes in this game right at the very beginning in the first, you know, four uh, shrines that you're in. Yeah. And then you're just released to the world. And that's it. Like, you're given, yeah. there's a main quest you can follow and they're just like, yeah, do whatever you want. Just go exploring. Yeah. The most non-linear Zelda ever made. Yeah. You have a huge map. And you have some direction where to go, or you can just go wherever you want. And just the exploring that game is, it's a beautiful game. Yeah. And it's so rewarding to explore and just experiment with getting around different places and different ways to travel different places. There's some things online that people have figured out because it's it's basically just a physics simulator uh, <laughs> of a Zelda game where right. they just do incredible things. You can get one metal thing and put it on top of a metal thing and stand on the top one and use your magnesis power to lift the bottom one and then just fly around the map. <laughs> uh, it's just crazy. Yeah, um, it's nuts. And there's not a whole lot of story, which is fine. Um, it's not... Yeah, it's, it's not... It's a Zelda game. Yeah, it's, that's typical of a Zelda game. Um, but it's it's really... And the, the combat is very difficult. It's definitely the hardest Zelda game I've ever played. Mm, and it's really yeah. satisfying to to get through. You have to come up with creative ways to deal with enemies. My one gripe about the difficulty is I'm... I find myself more annoyed by the durability than, like, find yeah. it enhancing my experience. Because it... 
it sometimes gets you into the mindset where you're trying to hoard your more powerful right. weapons until yeah. like a harder part in the game, and then maybe that doesn't exactly come, and it's now you've got this sitting. Right. It's like the you know right. your full potions or whatever in a Final Fantasy game that you just yeah. end up you have ninety nine <laughs> by the end of the game because you never use them. Yeah, same, right? that's a really good analogy. Yeah, yeah. I like um, I watch Daniel play a lot of Breath of the Wild because I don't have a Switch myself, and uh, there's a point in the game. I guess this is a spoiler where you get the master sword. Like mm-hmm. it's not a huge spoiler because it's Zelda. Right. And um my thinking was like, Danny, you got the master sword, why don't you use the master sword? And he kept reserving it, you know, which yeah. is understandable because of the system that's in because of the, you know, kind of durability system that you have. It's just sad that like you get the master sword and it's like, no, I need to save the master sword, <laughs> right. you know. I don't want to use the master sword right now. Yeah. And to clarify, the master sword is like basically one of the only weapons in the game that doesn't break. Right. However, if you use it for a certain period of time, it will power down and become unable for use yeah. for like Yeah, for yeah, some period of time and it, it recharges. Yeah. There are uh, situations where against the the more story-based enemies like the Guardians and against yeah. in, in Ganon's castle, it uh, becomes super-powered and doesn't lose durability nearly as quickly. Yeah, so and I save it for those moments. Right. Yeah. I think the problem the game has is that functionally they needed the durability system to make the game like work yeah. and and be difficult and also take longer you know so you can just wreck shit with like mm-hmm. a mediumly decent weapon the whole time but it's just not a fun way to play video games yeah. it never has been and it never will be yeah they just kind of worked themselves into a corner from a programming basis like the durability system was frustrating yeah uh i i dealt with it for the entire game right right, right? like it wasn't a deal breaker but it was like this is probably the worst part of this game yeah, yeah. oh easily yeah and I'm currently playing through it again. Um, I've, I purchased all the DLC last year. Oh, nice. Um, and I'm playing through it again to be able to get to the rest of that DLC. Nice. Get that motorcycle. Motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> sweet, sweet motorcycle. But no fishing a, pole. No fishing pole. As a watcher of the game uh, who didn't have to experience the uh, durability system firsthand, my biggest gripe was actually that, like, I, I thought the music was boring sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, uh, especially, like, like I thought, I think it's really good for, like, when you're kind of, like, walking around in a field, exploring, viewing a beautiful vista, but then when you get into combat and it's, like, still not very exciting, it's just, that kind of took me out of it. There are bit. certain enemies that have their own music, which is a lot more interesting. Right. Um, like, the, the Hinoxes have their own their own music, which is just kind of great beat to it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think when you, when you compare it to other games that came out this year that have such stellar soundtracks, it definitely... Mm-hmm. Feels right. more generic. Not, I mean, on, I, not I, only other 2017 games, but other previous games in the Zelda franchise. Yeah, I agree. Zelda games historically have had amazing yeah. soundtracks, yeah. and this is the first Zelda game in recent memory to not have an amazing soundtrack. What they do with the soundtrack, though, is make it very uh, atmospheric. Yes. Right? It, fits, very it fits the atmosphere yeah. while you're exploring very well, where it kind of will will play in with like some sounds of the, of the environment, so it really sounds like it fits in with what you're doing. But yeah, it doesn't. It does. It kind of lacks the kind of triumphant sounds that you would sometimes get in other Zelda soundtracks. Great soundtrack to like fall asleep to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I still there's still a lot of it that I enjoyed. Uh, I just feel like when when the game required it to kind of ramp up, it didn't really get there for me. Yeah. Uh, however, by and large, excellent game. Only reason it's not on my top five is that I didn't play it. <laughs> yeah. All right, my number two game we already mentioned is Persona 5. Once again, uh, tune in two weeks from uh, this podcast and you'll hear my thoughts then. Nice. My number two game 
has already been covered on this podcast, and it is pyre. Man, when I saw this for the first time, I like shed a, a small tear of pride. I don't think I'll ever recommend a game to you that goes over better than pyre. I loved pyre, oh, it's and so it was good. yeah. You really knocked the first recommendation out of the park. It's it's an incredible game, and and I like thinking over my favorite games of the year. I found that I liked it even more than I liked Persona Five. Especially because the the game's message and the game's narrative is just so much more consistent, mm. and it told its story in a more satisfying way. It's the most satisfying story that I've experienced this year. I agree. I think for me, Pyre and Persona Five are almost a coin flip between second and third best. Right. It's just such a perfect experience of a, of a game. It's just it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's yeah. It's so beautiful. The art is fantastic. The 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 aesthetic is just so unique and like engaging. Yeah. The soundtrack, as we've mentioned, mm. is dope as hell. And the man, characters are incredible. Yeah, man. Like those those characters and their dialogue and just the story was ended up being so good. It was so well written. Mm-hmm. The the choices you can make felt like they really mattered. Yes. Far fewer games than than try that actually pull it off. Oh, absolutely. Games think they're doing it well more often than they actually are doing it well. Yeah, and up up until I played Pyre, I thought one of the only real exceptions was Undertale, and now I can like add Pyre. <laughs> yeah. I can add Pyre to that very small list, and that's that's such a nice thing to say by itself. I think the highest compliment I could say about Pyre is I could easily put it at number one on my list and feel no qualms about doing so. Yeah, and this year was ridiculously loaded. Yes. Pyro deserves to be on a number one spot. I hope, I, I fervently hope that as we move forward into 2018 and then on into the future, that Pyre doesn't get forgotten in, in this stellar year. Because Agreed. I think this game deserves to be talked about for perpetuity. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I actually, like, I've... I've seen a lot of like game of the year lists already, and every time Pyre isn't on, I'm like, oh. Like, I know. Yeah. The it's, little a little dagger to the to the heart, every right? Time. It's like uh, like I I feel like so many people have missed it. You know, I feel like so many people didn't realize that Pyre came out. Right, Colin. I know you're thinking about playing it. I am. Yeah. I I in probably the latter half of this year when I finally get around to it, uh, <laughs> we'll have a conversation about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you've got kind of a big event happening this year. I do. So I mean, you know, <laughs> a little busy. A little busy. Yeah. <laughs> Colin's getting married. It's is birthday. what I'm saying. <laughs> 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 Colin's getting married on his birthday. <laughs> Bold choice. <laughs> and I only have to remember one day. <laughs> <laughs> and you're always celebrating yourself. <laughs> oh man, I got myself such a sweet birthday gift. <laughs> I'm not getting married on my birthday. <laughs> but not super far from it. Well, like a month and a half. All right, fine. Yeah. yeah. So congratulations, Colin. <laughs> I am excited for Colin to play it though on his increasing list of 2017 games yeah, he needs to get back to. All right, Sean. Yes. The time has come. The time what, has come. What was the your time is now? What was your favorite game of 2017? My favorite game. Of Actually, 20- before I'm going to set you up a little bit. Okay. I really appreciate. I'm glad that we're starting with you for the number one because I haven't seen this game on anyone else's uh, list. Period. 
nor have I seen it, obviously, therefore, as anyone else's number one game, okay. which isn't at all to say that I think it's undeserving. <laughs> or I just, that you're wrong. Or that you're wrong, right. Okay. I just think that it's really exciting to me to have some diversity cool. in this list and a game that so aligns with your specific appetites as a gamer. Boy, howdy does it. My number one game of the year for 2017 is Injustice 2 by NetherRealm Studios. I'm a big fighting game fan. Uh, I enjoy playing them and watching them. Uh, and, um, you know, there's a lot of different sort of styles of fighting games, subgenres, if you will. Um, there's like smash alikes, like platform fighters. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more your kind of street fighter style, where it's more about kind of fundamentals than about doing big combos. Um, there's anime fighters, which are like kind of really weird, and you're in the air a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I like those too. Um, and then there's American-style fighters, which have really just been dominated by NetherRealm Studios since <laughs> yeah. Mortal Kombat 9 came out. Um, and that's my favorite style of fighting game. Uh, it's very kind of combo-heavy. You get to do a lot of fun juggles and stuff like that. And you get to use a lot of really neat abilities. And I just think that Injustice 2 is the pinnacle of that style of uh, game. Um, I want to say yeah. that I'm incredibly glad this is your number one pick. Because I, too... As you well know, Sean, love, absolutely adore fighting games. They're probably like my second favorite genre next to RPGs. I thought you were going to say sports. Uh, oh, oh, did you? Yeah, that makes yeah, he, sense. He was loving that Atlanta Falcons interlude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my favorite genres in video games, period. But I don't get to talk about fighting games much because I don't have a lot of fighting games that I would recommend to Max on the right. podcast. So it's really cool that you rated one so highly. Go on. Um, right. I'm glad that you're glad. Uh, <laughs> I think, first of all, that it has a really stellar cast of interesting characters. Um, I like a lot of the ones that have come out. They brought back a lot of fun returning characters and tweaked yeah. them and changed them up in interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Um, also, they, uh, the Ninja Turtles are coming to this game as guest <laughs> characters. Yeah. And that's cool as hell. That's cool as hell. Yeah. That, that is 2018, but it's still cool as hell. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as 2017 editions, Hellboy is still incredibly cool. Oh, yes. Yeah, he's also a guest character, and uh, he's really, really great. Very satisfying to play. Um, another thing that I really appreciate about Injustice 2 is just the strides that they've made kind of since Injustice 1, and really even since Mortal Kombat X. Like, um, NetherRealm had a problem for a really long time where... Uh, all the characters, while their models were really well done, kind of had the same face. <laughs> yeah, um, NetherRealm face. Uh, it is rumored that that's because the guy who was in charge of modeling the faces had a mirror in his office and used his own face as a model for all faces, including the female ones. <laughs> <laughs> that, like that's, that's not a rumor. That's something he said in oh, an interview. No. Remember? Guy. <laughs> anyway. Um, they should hire someone else to model faces. <laughs> Maybe they well, I don't know if they did or what, but I mean, like, to go from that to, like, people posting GIFs of this game and saying, like, like to highlight how expressive and nice-looking the faces are, that's a big leap. Uh, You know, graphically, it's just a very impressive game. really is. Um, I'm also a big fan of fighting games that have uh, robust and compelling single-player content. You know, like, I don't necessarily just want to jump online... Um, I want to have a lot of stuff to do offline. So first of all, the story mode is up to NetherRealm's usual standards. It's very good. It's engaging. You can put a lot of time into it for a fighting game story mode. 
And it's um, got like this very B this B movie tone, which I I actually really dig yeah, in the context I, of these games. I think it really works for the Injustice games. Yeah. Um, and also, there's this cool system where, uh, you know, in a lot of kind of comic book franchises, you have this concept of there being multiple universes, right? Like the Marvel and Ultimate Marvel or whatever. Uh, they explore that in Injustice Two by introducing a multiverse system where you can log into it. And then you get kind of different versions of Earth pop up that have different things happening. You get kind of a little blurb, like in this universe, you know, Superman is a despotic dictator or whatever. Which is um, the main universe. Which is the justice. main universe. <laughs> um, and so they kind of choose uh, the enemies that you fight, and sometimes they add little mini games that you have to contend with while you're fighting the characters. It's just kind of like a fun spin on the usual arcade ladder mode. Yeah. Um, so. It's also worth noting that uh, the online is fantastic. Mm-hmm. The netcode is so good that it really feels most of the time as though you're just playing with someone who's sitting next to you. For the first time in another own game. Yeah, which is great. Uh, so I think uh, for all that and more, just for being a really compelling, nice-looking uh, single and multiplayer package with great gameplay, I would be remiss if I did not award Justice 2 my number one spot on my Game of the Year uh, list for 2017. And Sean, I think one thing I appreciate uh, about your experience with Injustice 2 is you share a lot of videos on Facebook that you've taken from the PlayStation 4 of combos that you've put together (laughs) that you figured out. Yes. Which I think, A, is a really cool thing in fighting games. Obviously, not all fighting games allow you to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's great that Injustice 2 is one of those games because I think that aligns with your specific play style in in fighters um but it's also fun that you can then like brag about that you know on on social media i appreciate that about it a lot uh, that's definitely one of my favorite things about um injustice and mortal Kombat is that if it's very easy for me with the way that i enjoy playing fighting games to put combos together in those games and it's fun to be able to go into training mode and just kind of experiment like ooh, what if i tried this right. or that what if i use this move yeah. uh, to see you know how flashy can i make it look how high can i get the damage um that's definitely something I enjoy about it a lot as well. Awesome. How do you feel about the gear system? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> they do have kind of a gotcha loot box thing going for unlocking. Uh, like, basically, you can unlock gear that has kind of stats and special properties that you can then use when you're delving into the multiverse uh, to, you know, make it easier to defeat boxes and things like that. Boxes. Bosses. <laughs> uh, and things of that nature. And um, and they also uh, change your character cosmetically. And they change your character cosmetically, yes. It doesn't bug me too much, but it is... I'm not a fan of loot boxes in gaming in general, and so that does kind of suck. Does it affect the online player or just the single player? Um, unranked it affects, ranked it does not. Okay. Um, and when you're playing an unranked play, you do have an option, like you can bring up a menu where if both players select a, like, your gear doesn't matter option, then it's converted to being clearly uh, purely cosmetic. I think that that kind of money-grubbing randomness in a game is always frustrating. But I'd say that it's only about as frustrating as it is in Overwatch. And so I'm okay with that. Okay. You know, I'll I'll tolerate that for uh, the rest of the game. Great. All right. Amy, I'm also going to preface your number one game of 2017 by saying, though I've seen it on more lists than Injustice 2, and even at the number one spot for some people, I appreciate that you um, have an indie game uh, at the top of your list. And um, one that we haven't talked about on the podcast before, so I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So my first top game of the year for 2017 is What Remains of Edith Finch. I am going to 
be completely honest, I didn't even hear about it until I was watching the Game Awards and it won Best Narrative. That really intrigued me because games with narrative is, is very appealing to me. So narratives are really important to me and it's only second best to characters because if something has a terrible story but great characters, I'll be more interested in it than a great story and terrible characters. But I think Edith Finch really kind of has a balance between the two. There's only one protagonist, essentially. Mm. And the game starts off as you are somebody who is reading a letter from one of your family members and you're going back to your old home. And this house is insanely wonky. It's, it's built very not safe or sound. There's so many different levels to it. It's very strange. It's kind of like an eerie kind of setting. It's supposed to be kind of macabre in ways. I watched I watched a playthrough of it yesterday and it's it completely got me. I wasn't expecting for me to like this game as much. I certainly wasn't expecting for it to be my game of the year, but it really took me by surprise how great and deep it delved. There's a bunch of different facets to this story and they do it so well. The voice acting is amazing. The indie game is it's crazy that the voice acting is so good. The The protagonist has such a monotone and grave and serious voice, but it works. Her inflections are great. The voices for different characters that you control through the story is amazing. It kind of does this flashback thing where you'll learn about a character and then it puts you back into that moment where you learn about as that character and you play through it. And it's a very, it is a very dark game. It is very nitty gritty. I cried a lot. <laughs> By the time I finished watching the playthrough, I was sobbing. Daniel can attest to that as yeah, well. Yeah, no, I, uh, Amy sent me like a text. It was like, hey, I just got to the end of Edith Finch and I, oh, how was it? And she just texted me a picture of herself crying. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, does that explain it? <laughs> the, the game did such a good job with telling a story and telling a story well and it deals with a lot of really dark themes it deals with death it deals with neglect it deals with homesickness it deals with even fantasy elements like curses stuff like that it's it's such a good story and the characters even though you don't necessarily play as that specific character throughout the entire story, the way they build up the characters that are your family members that you learn about is incredible. The Some of the dramatic irony of the way they pull some of these characters' stories off is amazing. The way you go through the house and the different rooms is like kind of, kind of like a dungeon crawl, basically, where each door of the house is sealed shut, and there's a peephole, and you have to find a way to get into the rooms. But Little do you know, there's like a secret passage in the house that your like great grandpa built <laughs> so people can get through it if need be. And it's so charming. It's It's got very a series of unfortunate events tone to it. Ooh. And mm. that was my favorite book series growing up, and I still love it. And the Netflix series is so good. Yes. <laughs> yes. So having something as dark as that and wonky, that's one of my two favorite things mashed together. And... There's a lot of kind of hints that the developers and creators drop in the story, and I'm trying to be as vague as possible because there's some elements that is important to the game that you want to experience for yourself. Yeah. So if I'm not making 100% sense, 
I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just really important to kind of not know as much about the characters until you are playing the game or watching somebody play it. And the ending is open-ended, which I usually hate, but the fact of the matter is is that with this game, the ending is open to interpretation, but the game developers and creators leave enough Easter eggs and hints in the game if you're paying attention and explore very thoroughly, which I do do in games, because I have to explore each room. I have to check every corner. I have to... That's just the kind of person I am when I play video games. Yep. And they leave enough hints that you can put together the whole story by the end of the game. And it ends on a very great note. It's it's just amazing. It took... There was so much emotional effort put into this game. It was dedicated to somebody that the game creator had known and had passed away. So there was just so much into that game and it really was worth it in the end. It was amazing. It's only like four hours long. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, this was a game that sort of slipped past my radar. Yeah, me too for the most part. Yeah, and when Amy told me about her experience with the game, uh, I realized that it like it has to be something I play in the near future. Yeah. yeah. Amy, have you played Firewatch? No, I was interested in it and heard something about the ending being It's Yeah, the story isn't as great as it could have been. I bring it up because um, that's the game that has had the best voice acting that I've ever heard. And I think you'd appreciate it from from that level. It's a game I'm going to recommend to Daniel at some point. Uh, mostly because I just want to talk about it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's not very long. So Fair enough. that game didn't have great voice acting. It would not be a good game. Yeah, it's definitely the voice acting that carries that yeah. game. It's so good. So you might like it from that perspective. I thought about buying it, so I might actually do that. Um, since you just brought it up, and then one last thing I want to bring up about what remains of Edith Finch is there is one point where you are controlling a character, and almost every character has a kind of kind of mini game element to it which is really cool but in there's one character whose mini game sequence makes the whole entire game worth it it is so cool what they did with the sequence and very relatable too and something that they do within that is that you can choose if that character your uh your brother in the game can be gay or straight which is really cool because i wasn't expecting that at all um, you can choose if you're trying to look for like a beautiful princess or a beautiful prince. Uh, and that was really cool because that just kind of came out of nowhere. And it was really cool that they treated it normally. Right. Um, and then my only criticism I can think of for what remains of Edith Finch is one of the characters' stories you get hints at, but you never actually get to find out what happened to them. Because it's a reference to their first game that they released. Oh, that's frustrating. Mm. Uh, the uh, something swan. Oh, the unfinished swan. The unfinished swan. The character that you never understand what happened to them is the protagonist from the unfinished swan. And there's a lot of references towards it. And I hate that in video games. Yeah, that's yeah. really annoying. Putting a reference to another game that I haven't played of yours to get me to play it can be rather annoying for me. As- especially because like it's not even... Like, that game was incredibly popular. You know, like, if if Mario Odyssey throws in a reference to Super Mario 64, it's like, okay, that's fine, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But Edith Finch popping in a reference to Unfinished Swan, like, 
how many people have played unfinished swan you know it's, especially in relation to how many must have played either finch by this it's point it's very weird and unfair because the game is really cool it's an adventure game obviously there's like a lot of mysteries you're unraveling yeah and that's just one you never get to unravel unless you know about the unfinished swan oh that's and so I had dumb to look it up and it pissed me off that was the only thing i did not like about that game. yeah that's so dumb this is a weird seg but that's also a problem that i have with the early game of final fantasy 14 um <laughs> because you know it's a realm reborn because they kind of remade the game after the original Final Fantasy XIV wasn't very good. Um, but they're continuing the story from where the original Final Fantasy XIV started. <laughs> so the first like 10 or 15 hours of the game is just like you dealing with the aftermath of Final Fantasy XIV's story, a game which you can't play anymore because it doesn't <laughs> exist. Yeah. It's yeah. so fucking boring. That's really dumb. That's really dumb. Well, with those two games out of the way... <laughs> Uh, Colin, Daniel, and I all have the same number one game, and what you know what could it be? If you can't figure it out, that's kind of on you. Colin, why don't you take us away? What's our favorite game of the year? Uh, the number one, the number one game, the play this game of the year yeah, for 2017 is Super Mario Odyssey. Yeah, it's Super Yay. Mario Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> Man, this game's so good, Colin. <laughs> all right, Colin, why don't you start us off? Sure. So. My favorite thing about Super Mario Odyssey is that the movement is so, so satisfying. Oh yeah. my god, it's so good. The The number of different ways you can get from point A to point B is just, it just feels so smooth. And you can be so creative with trying to get on top of things and, you know, make different jumps. And you can jump off of your hat and then uh, it's just so, so satisfying. And it just makes you feel so accomplished when you get to a new place. And it... The, the stars that are just hidden, or moons, sorry. Yeah, the moons. moons. Uh, the moons <laughs> are hidden everywhere, so it, it rewards you so much for just exploring new areas and finding nooks and crannies where there might be a moon hidden. Yeah. And it's just, it's just so great. I think the movement is a great place to start talking about Super Mario Odyssey, and especially Super Mario Odyssey as it compares to uh, uh, Breath of the Wild. Because while a lot of people have Breath of the Wild as their favorite game of the year, hmm. uh, or really high up on their lists... One of the things that I appreciate more about Super Mario Odyssey is the movement. Yeah. Like, it's great that you can climb anything in Zelda or you can go anywhere, but it's a little bit sloppier to right. me. And it, it doesn't, it feels, feels sluggish. Feels sluggish. Controlling yeah. the horses isn't always great. Climbing up mountains isn't always great. Mm-hmm. Even just crossing over land isn't always great. And in Odyssey, though, it, as we talked about, I think in an earlier episode, there are some depth perception issues, which mm-hmm. I think you just can't not have in a 3D platformer. Yeah. Even though there are those issues, the movement is so fluid. It is, yeah. And yeah. the... So there's nothing... In, in Super Mario Odyssey, what limits you is your own ability to make jumps. Right. And there's, like, physical distances. You can only jump so far. <laughs> right. And in... Uh, Breath of the Wild, what limits you in your movement is your stamina and your stamina management. Mm-hmm. And in some games, that's handled super well. Like Dark Souls handles uh, stamina management really well because that's how you win battles is by managing your stamina. But in Breath of the Wild, its only purpose is to limit your movement. Right. It's and the then, durability of... Right. And then yeah. you have to add you know, your points to either your hearts or your stamina, which your, sta- your health keeps you alive, your hearts keep you alive, mm-hmm. and your stamina you know, helps you move a little bit better. So... It, it kind of, you know, the moral of the world unlocks you as you progress further in the game, but it also just feels kind of like an arbitrary barrier to right. getting places. Whereas in Odyssey, the only barrier is mostly you and your creativity and how to get places. And your ability. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Crap. I I know. I've already talked about like you know in, in previous episodes of play this. I've already talked about like how much yeah you know I love Super Mario Odyssey, and I think a lot of that stuff hasn't changed. I think that you can see the the heart put into this game from every single angle. Absolutely, the cute moments are just immeasurable. They're just there's too many of them to count. One of my favorites is a popular one, I'm sure, but when you're in New Donk City. And you see this guy who's like sitting on a bench by himself. You can sit next to him on the bench and you'd be like, oh, hey, thanks for sitting next to me. I've, I've been really lonely and I could use someone to talk to. Thanks, man. And then a moon appears above his head and you get the moon. <laughs> and then you leave. You just leave him there. <laughs> we don't talk about that. Uh, the characters are so like vibrant and fun. The soundtrack. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, like... Both of the vocal tracks that I've experienced in the game are really good, really catchy. On top of that, each of the level themes are just, like, something that I could just leave playing for as long as I want, and it doesn't get old. It's, I don't know, the, the whole experience is really fresh, and I feel like I should say here, like I've said on other episodes, is that I'm not really a Mario guy. Right. I like Mario 64 far less than, like, the average person. Mario Odyssey is the first Mario game I've beaten. The first 3D Mario game, sorry. The first 3D Mario game that I've beaten because that was the first 3D Mario game that, like, held my attention and had me hooked for that long. So I, uh, I'm the same way. I'm not really a Mario person. I didn't, I got sick of Super Mario 64 really quickly. Same. I got sick of Super Mario Sunshine really quickly. I got sick of Super Mario Galaxy 1 and 2 really quickly. What was different about Odyssey for you that made it so much more compelling? Because I have been hesitant to really give it a shot because I just I feel as though I'm going to have that same experience. I feel the weakness in a lot of the older Mario games is that a lot of them feel really repetitive. Mm-hmm. In Mario 64, for example, uh, you get a star in Bomb Bomb, Bob Bomb Battlefield, right? Bob Bomb Battlefield. Yeah, you get yeah. a star in Bob Bomb Battlefield. It kicks you out of the level, and you have to jump back into Bob Bomb right. Battlefield and go through half the level again to get another star. Mm-hmm. Mario Odyssey never does that. You, okay. you get a moon, and then you keep on going like exactly from where you left off, right. and you can get another moon that's right next to it. Uh, it keeps it keeps consistently rewarding you for exploration, and. Well, that's wild. That's like your favorite game, Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> same thing with puzzle pieces. That's incredible. I had I played Banjo Kazooie for half an hour in front of Sean, and then I put it down forever, and he's a little salty. <laughs> <laughs> I'll also say I think another thing about Odyssey that's super great. I'm not necessarily comparing it to previous Mario games by saying this, but I appreciate that you can play the game in any uh, order you want. Oh, that's nice. You yeah. you have to do the main story, obviously, but right. you can either progress the main story immediately, or you can. Just hang out in each world and collect as many moons as you want and then go back to the main story. And uh, throughout different periods of the main story, more moons will unlock on each world. Uh, So there's always a reason to come back. But you can take it as leisurely as you want. Or you can power through the main story and then come back and get the hundreds of moons that are now populating each world. Yeah, what's great is after you complete the main story, it unlocks more moons in every every world. There's there's a set of moons that are available at at the start of every level. And then once you get through the main story, you can come back and there's a whole bunch more. And you can just do them in whatever order you want. Go wherever you want. Yeah, and, and, and I feel like there's a lot of games... Uh, and platformers where there's some mandatory backtracking. Mario Odyssey never does that. 
if you backtrack, it's because you feel like it and you're incentivized to do it because you can experience these new things. The game never forces you to do it. That's cool. Yeah. What's also really great about it, another another feature that I really love, is that it uh, does a great job of moderating its difficulty. So you can get through it just getting the moons that you need to that are some of the story mission moons that are fairly easy. The bosses are, are the starting bosses are fairly easy. Yeah. Um, you can get through all of that and have a fairly easy time getting to the end of the game. Yeah. Or there's some moons that are just incredibly difficult and incredibly frustrating in, yeah. a, in a good way to yes. try to get. Yes. Yeah. And, and the reason that it, it doesn't become more frustrating, like painfully frustrating, is because the movement feels so smooth and so yes. good. Yeah. You always feel like your inputs, it's always your fault. You're the, re- right. The game's never the reason you fail. Right. You're the reason you fail. Exactly. Yeah. And on that note, like, there's a lot of incredibly hard, like, levels in this game, and they're all optional. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, after you beat the game, like, this post-game area opens up where you get to do kind of, like, this boss rush. Mm-hmm. I spent, like, three hours oh. just trying to beat that boss rush. Yeah, so I mentioned the rest of the bosses are actually fairly easy. Yeah. What's interesting about the boss rush mode is it's uh, like a harder version of them where they they have a little bit better attacks. Yeah. And also you're in low gravity. Yeah. Which makes all your jumps really slow, so you have to kind of plan stuff a little bit better. And you don't heal in between the bosses. Right. And And you don't heal between the bosses. Yeah, I tried the boss rush for a couple times, and then... I haven't gone back yet. Not because I got frustrated, just because I'm like, you know what? I, I need a more relaxing experience right now. Yeah. And then when I'm in the headspace for this boss rush, I'll come yeah. back to it. And then um, after that boss rush mode, there's another secret area that unlocks once you get enough moons. That's like just super hard platforming. Uh, Colin, did you get all nine nine nine? I did. I yeah, got all. Did. I got all nine nine nine. What? Moons. Yeah. <laughs> you got all of the moons. I got all of the moons. There's also something I want to say. And again, I mean, I know I, I set this up, so I'm the one to blame. It's. It's hard not to compare Odyssey and Breath of the Wild. I don't like doing it because I don't think it's fair to either game. But there's one other comparison I want to make, which is that when you find all the Korok seeds in Breath of the Wild, you get a golden poop. The game sh- the game shits on you, literally, <laughs> for putting a lot of time and effort into a collection mechanic that is also worse than the collection mechanic in uh, Mario Odyssey. Whereas when you get all of the moons in Mario Odyssey, you get something special that feels rewarding. You're not literally shit on. Right. For... You're not literally shit on. And, <laughs> and I will say, I'm, I'm kind of a completionist when it comes to some games. I've even, like, played myself out of games when I was trying to do a completionist thing that was just not fun. Right. Where, like, I would make myself not have fun with a game and then give up on it, which is <laughs> dumb. Yeah, dumb so. way to play video games. But I've done that before. Yes, you have. <laughs> just one example <laughs> that I can remember is that in Kingdom Hearts 2... Uh, there is, <laughs> in Kingdom Hearts 2, before the game actually properly starts, you play as Roxas for like six hours, and... It's not good. Yeah, it's it's not great. One of the things you can do on as Roxas is play this skateboarding minigame to earn gold or something. Uh, yeah, I got all the gold you can get from it. Yeah, no, and... Col- <laughs> Colin played the game for five hours straight on that skateboarding minigame. I was hanging out with him. For this whole time, I saw him play. I think we were at my house Yeah, I was there, too. Yes. He was just playing the skateboarding minigame for five hours straight, and then he played it so much that the game booted him out of the skateboarding minigame so he could continue on the main story, and he turned the PlayStation 2 off. Yeah, I haven't played Kingdom Hearts 2 since then. (laughs) (laughs) Did you think you were playing Tony Hawk first? (laughs) Just got confused. Back to the collecting aspect of Odyssey versus Breath of the Wild, I... 
have played more time in Breath of the Wild than I have in Odyssey, and I will never collect all of the Korok seeds. I won't do it. Well, yeah. they're random. I mean, unless you look up, unless you look, they're not randomly oh, placed. Right, right. But you're you're coming across them as random. Right. To, to be fair, there are some pretty random moons in Odyssey as well. Yeah, That's there true. are, but there are A, way fewer, and B, they're not all like that. Yeah, just that, um, you know, I, I got all the shrines in Breath of the Wild because that felt more satisfying, and there's... You know, it's a little bit easier to find them. At the time I was playing, you didn't have the Korok mask, so you couldn't get a, re- a reminder when you were near one anyway, uh, which certainly would help for the collection. But there's also far fewer. Right. Um, and it was more satisfying to collect those. And then the, the the Korok seeds are so much the same. It's just like, oh, I found this Korok mm. under a rock. Right. Great. Right. Whereas the moons in Super Odyssey are all so different. Right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. That it feels a lot more satisfying to collect all of them. Yeah. It really is. We've already talked about Odyssey a lot, like you said, Daniel. But one other thing I wanted to point out that I love about this game is the costumes. Oh, yeah. The costumes are so great. I think aside from when you need to wear costumes for like unlocking a moon's purpose, I mostly just have Mario in his backwards hat and uh, swimming suit look, (laughs) which I love so much. It's such a great look. Nice. It's funny. I really love and appreciate the costumes. I actually go through as much of the game as I went through as much of the story mode playthrough as just canon Mario. I just wore his regular overalls and hat. Uh, but, like, I still loved all the options I had. I spent uh, most... I'll, you don't get it until towards the end of the game unless you have an amiibo, but m- one of the most satisfying moments was the ability to wear Princess uh, Peach's wedding dress. <laughs> and I just wore that dress for the rest of the game. It was amazing. Nice. And I love also... Um, this is a small spoiler, but I think it's worth sharing because it's not a big spoiler. When you are gearing up for the final battle, Bowser's dialogue will change depending on what you're wearing when you walk up to him. Yeah. And he will make a comment based off of what you're wearing. And I think his one, if you're wearing the, the Princess Peach wedding dress, is yeah. actually kind of cool. It is, yeah. Well, what's he say? I don't remember it's what it like, is exactly. You're not like cute enough to pull that off or something? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> something <Rude>. like that. <laughs> yeah, very rude. I now understand why Colin only brought two games to this conversation <laughs> yeah. because he did completionist runs of both. Yeah. That's, that must have taken up so much time of your life. That's probably close to 300 hours of gaming. It, no. Uh, Odyssey was... I, I just looked earlier like earlier this week and it was 45 or more hours in Odyssey and 75 or more in Breath of the Wild. Okay. Life. Wow. That's still a lot of time. Yeah. That's great. Dang, you should is, do one of them speed runs or something. <laughs> you do love speed running. <laughs> Watching them. Um, also one other thing I wanted to point out about Odyssey, um, this kind of goes back to Sean's question is it pulls off self-referencing so well. Yeah. Mario Odyssey reference references so much about the Mario world in such a really great way Mm -hmm. without spoiling the actual moment. New Donk City Festival is one of my favorite moments in gaming period of all time. It's fantastic. It's It's in my top five of gaming moments, period. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, There is a moment in the end game of Mario Odyssey that we're not going to spoil here, but that's one of my favorite gaming moments of all time. Definitely like my favorite Mario moment of all time. Yeah, it's just the game references its history so impeccably well. Yeah. And without ever like making a big show of it. It Yeah. It's just, uh, I love it. Yeah, it's it's just like oh hey remember this thing and then like moves along. Uh, there's still so much like fresh new ideas in it mm-hmm. too. It do- it doesn't just make references over and over and like sits on right, that. Right, it, right, right. It brings so much stuff that I've never seen in Mario before, and it's really amazing. It's just almost for me. This is obviously subjective. It's almost a perfect game. It's fantastic. It really is. 
Well, I guess I'll play it at some point. <laughs> I do have to uh, indulge in a bit of video gaming history. <laughs> he said with a sigh. I'm, I'm sure that I'll enjoy it. I just, uh, I'm not super motivated to play it based on my previous experiences with the Mario franchise. Which I'm is sure fair. it's very good. It's just hard to work myself up, you know, to investing yeah, a lot of time in it. I'll say I didn't play any of Galaxy 1 or 2. Um, I didn't play any of Sunshine. I played some of uh, Mario 64, but I didn't I didn't beat it mm-hmm. ever in any capacity. <laughs> and you fucking hundred percent. And I hundred percent at Odyssey. Yeah, that's that's a good sign. Yeah, okay. and I've I've played all of the games Colin just mentioned, and I didn't enjoy my play experience enough with them to finish them. I, until Odyssey. That is good to know. Yeah, it's it's a different experience for sure. Cool. And worth it. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to our Game of the Year Marathon cast. <laughs> and uh, thank you to our special guests, Colin, Amy, and Sean, for joining us this week. Yeah, Pleasure to be here. You're welcome. You can always tweet at us. Uh, we are at uh, Play This Podcast on Twitter. And you can send us an email at playthiscast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on how 2017 went for you in gaming, how 2017 went for you in terms of listening to this podcast. Yeah. I know we kind of started later in the year, but that was the first year that we have been doing this. So send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them and share them if you'd like. Um, again, that is on Twitter at play this podcast and on Gmail, uh, play this cast at gmail.com. The, for the first time ever, I can sh- thank Sean to his face <laughs> for writing the music for our game. Thank or for our podcast. Thank you, Sean. You're very welcome. I was, it was a pleasure to do so. Sean, if people want to hear other of your musical stylings, where can they find you? Uh, they can go to soundcloud.com slash R E underscore chief. Um, I will occasionally put up, like, I do a lot of voice work, and so uh, I'll, like, uh, do dramatic readings of comics or things like that, or silly memes. Uh, So you can check that out if you want to have a good time. Yeah, and any game industry people listening and looking for a new voice to put in their video games, look at Sean Francis, because... He's good. He's really talented. He's a great voice actor. Thank you. I appreciate that. We also uh, got to thank who is not here on this panel, Kessie Rilanicki, uh, for making our incredible logo. It's so good. So that's 2017. Um, I know Daniel and I have a lot of uh, plans ahead for 2018 in terms of what we want to do with this podcast. Uh, this probably isn't the last time you'll hear from some of our guests uh, uh, again this year. So once again, thank you for joining us and uh, have a great Time. Play (laughs) this! Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Game over.